Welcome to the Kent Lab Podcast, featuring long-form conversations offering wisdom, hope, and community. Now here's your host, Kent Lapp. Hello guys, this is Kent Lapp and welcome to this episode of the Kent Lapp Podcast. Today I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Jonathan Ulrich. Jonathan and the love of his life, Raquel, reside in Cleburne, Texas with their four beautiful kids. Jonathan was born a missionary kid in Costa Rica and later dropped out of high school, uh, joining the family business and going on to grow sales by over 500% there, Uh, then buying out the family business, uh, which he now owns and serves as CEO of Ulrich Holdings, a portfolio of family-owned businesses in the same industry across the country. Jonathan is fanatical about helping families live more memorable and organized lives via their niche in lifestyle structures, ranging from kids' playhouses to she sheds, home offices, art studios, garden sheds, to five-bedroom family ranch cabins. Jonathan is fluent in English and Spanish and has extensively traveled Central and South America, as well as South Africa, Europe, and Asia, and continues to love traveling and exploring new places with his wife, Raquel. His hobbies are flying, hunting, and fishing. Jonathan is passionate about servant leadership and growing organizations with principles he believes are as timeless as scripture. His life was greatly influenced by Zig Ziglar at a young age and from whom he adopted the mantra, you can have everything in life you want if you would just help enough other people get what they want. Jonathan serves on various boards, including YPO Fort Worth Chapter. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jonathan. Certainly hope you do as well. Uh, we have somewhat similar backgrounds and have experience in the same industry, and uh, but we get into quite a lot here that uh, I think you'll find helpful and enjoyable, including uh, business principles, life principles, and much more. As always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and also check out our YouTube channel for the podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, simply at Kent Lapp. And lastly, if you're finding this podcast helpful or enjoyable, do me a favor and text the link to a friend or family member who may find it the same. I would uh, appreciate that greatly. So without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Jonathan Ulrich. Enjoy. Jonathan Ulrich, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Welcome to Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. We were talking about flying just a little bit ago. Um, did you fly this weekend? Did I did. You fly yeah. here? Yep. Yep. I uh, went and saw some friends at a factory in uh, Missouri and then came into Bowling Green and uh, drove down here because the weather's sort of crappy and we're going to end up back up in Bowling Green. But, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you not staying in Nashville for the weekend? No. No. I'll be, uh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, all the uh, fun stuff is not here right now, Absolutely, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bad time to be visiting Nashville if you want to get in on some of the fun stuff for sure. Um, how, how long have you been flying and what got you into it? You know, I was, uh, my, my youngest brother, um, who has NF2 got his pilot's license when he was, geez, he didn't even have his driver's license. Um, and and I flew with him and I thought, you know, it's a cool concept, but didn't really see it practically as something I needed. And I'm a, I'm a fairly practical guy. If it's something I, it's going to bring value and I enjoy, I love it. Right. If it's, if it's something I don't enjoy and it has value, try to get someone else to do it or or vice versa. Right. So, um, and then, and then I started, uh, and my, my youngest brother, Peter, he's, he's, cr- you know, critically ill, um, obviously with, with NF2, um, can't, can't fly anymore. So it's sort of a, sort of inspiring him a bit, oh, okay. um, in the very, very first part of the journey, but I was, yeah. I was uh, flying small planes with, and chartering small planes with, uh, pilots, single pilot. Right. And one day I'm sitting there thinking, boy, if, if this guy has a heart attack, 
what am I going to do? Right. I'm right. going to watch all the way to my death. And so, um, thought it'd be I mean, better you knew to be, enough that if you're going down, you'd pull back on the steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what kills you more than anything. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. the, the yeah. pulling the yoke back and stalling. So, yeah, yeah. so I took a few lessons. I thought I'll just solo just to get the concept. I ended up falling in love with it mm-hmm. and, uh, went all the way through, finished my license. Um, and then, then ended up buying a plane and have enjoyed it. And so I sort of, you know, I don't know where it'll end, but uh, yeah. right now I, I enjoy it. I fly uh, probably 100, 150 hours a year. So, oh, wow. Um, how, try, many hours you, how many hours you got total right now? I've, uh, I've just looked at my logbook yesterday. I think 350, 360. Yeah. So. And obviously you have your instrument rating if you're flying. I don't actually. No. Really? Nope. nope. So I do, uh, I, I, I take safety pilots along or instrument pilot along. Um, I've got probably 80 hours okay. of instrument flight, yep. um, but you know, don't fly instrument without someone else because, well, it's not legal and right. Are pr- you probably are... not legal for a good reason? Sure. Um, so, so I do a lot of like yesterday we had I w- went to Missouri and then here, so we had a uh, get up over a system, which in a, in my Saratoga that means it was a pretty. Uh, low system, right? Um, or get underneath it, or go around it. Yeah. So we pro- probably added ten minutes to our flight time in total yesterday. Okay. So gotcha. it was, wasn't bad. So. so you flew from, and by the way, for people that don't know, you're from Dallas, Fort Worth. Yep. Yeah. So Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. You flew from Fort Worth to. Did you fly into Nashville? Uh, so flew from Fort Worth to um, uh, Missouri. And then oh, from Missouri, uh, flew to Bowling Green, actually. Yep. Okay, so gotcha. Have some friends and in Bowling j- Green we're going to spend the weekend with. So Okay, and just VFR? Yeah. And yeah. it's you and your wife, and you mentioned a friend. Yep. yep. So you do not have, on this trip, you don't have a backup no. A, uh, no. instrument. You know, you always, you always weigh the uh, pros and cons, and uh, I've got, I can either fly a pilot into Nashville to go home with me. Okay. The weather's looking good, so we're going home on Monday. Okay. Um, and I can always, you know, leave tomorrow if I need to. So it's sort of a, a relaxed schedule on the, gotcha. on the tail end. And and there's also commercial flights, you know, and they're pretty cheap sure. right now too. But so. what would you do if you flew home commercial? What would you do with your Saratoga? I'd just have to come back next week and then pick it up or something. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Right, you gotcha. know, have another pilot bring it home for me. Sure. Yeah. So. Well, there's worse things for sure. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's never happened. I've always made it home. Sometimes I've had to, you know, go an hour out of the way or something. But yeah, uh, I'm it, surprised. I thought you had your. I just figured you had your instrument rating for yeah. as much as you flew. Now, are you yeah. going to work on that? Yeah, is that yeah, so a I, goal like of yours? I said? I have about. I've I've done all the training. I got to you know sit down in front of video for about 20 hours to go take the uh, written. I see. Um, and then refresh myself uh, to be able to you know. Pass my check right, obviously. So yeah, uh, something I, I hope to do. I thought maybe I'd get it done during COVID, but so okay. far we've been busier and uh, in a good way and uh, than ever. So I'm not, you know, not taking the time mm. for that now. So yeah, and for those that don't know, um, tell us a little bit about what uh, what industry you're in. And then I am curious. I, I figured you would be slow during COVID. Yeah, Doesn't yeah. Sound so like it's you. it's uh, you know. It's anyone's guess is as good as another person's originally on what's going to happen, what's going to slow down, what's going to pick up. Um, so we are we are in the lifestyle structures industry. So we do uh, modular log cabins mm-hmm. um, and and backyard lifestyle structures. So kids' playhouses, uh, cottage sheds, you know, potting sheds, craft rooms. You get a lot into accessory um, lifestyle kind of mm-hmm. kind of uses. Um, so a lot of the industry is serving sort of a um, you know, storage or it's just a shed. And, and we're on the other side of that spectrum a bit. And interestingly enough for us, 
you know, the, the last 10 years, we've really had this focus of shifting from being a, a commodity to more of a lifestyle structure. Mm. Um, so it's our, it's our, what we consider our core niche. It's our focus. You know, our mission is to help families live more memorable and organized lives. And so we've, I feel very blessed that today, as we look at what happened during COVID, I mean, front end interest you know, top of funnel interest mm-hmm. has doubled and tripled, depending which category we're talking about during COVID, because everyone's sitting at home, right? They're they're stuck at home, they're bored, they, they're cleaning out the garage, they're going, I need something for organization. You can't have a yard sale and get rid of the stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and also I think during this time people are more sentimental. You know, they're they're not going to get rid of that that uh heirloom or that whatever right. whatever that item is that has meaning to them. And then the other half of it is just people um I, I look forward into the future, you know, and, and your guess is as good as mine. But what we are looking towards, we've sort of taken a two-prong approach. We're, we're sort of getting aggressive and bearish on the future, mm. while at the same time really trimming back um, on expenditures, not headcount, you know, not not mm-hmm. em, not employee and team members, but uh, rather on you know leaning out, right? So yeah. Yeah. the last the last few years, the economy's been pretty good, and so mm-hmm. it's easy to start. You know, you, have, you all of a sudden look up and you have three gym, gym memberships and you go, sure. well, it's actually healthier to just go run outside. Let's get rid of the three gym memberships. Right. So yeah. things like that, obviously for the company yeah. um, and, and myself have been leaning out, you know, yep. just, just really let's make this prepare for if the worst happens, we're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the best happens, we're lean, you You're know, ready. we can, we can, we can launch into it. So yep. I think people, the, the first half is organization. The second half I think is just lifestyle, right? They're, they're sitting at home. They're not going to go invest in a newer home or a bigger home or a, you know, a different home. They're not going to build a new home, but they realize they need space Yeah. because now they're, they're sort of back in the twenties. They're spending time at home. Their kids are at home. They need things to do. Yep. Um, yeah, the, the, the two hours a day, their kids were spending on technology, you know, now they're turning into technology brats because it's six hours right. a day. So they got to get the kids outside and, yes. and they want something, so whether it's a craft room or a home office or whatever. So yep. um, we're, we're really seeing or the way we see it in the future over the next six to 12 months is, is that's a lot of people are going to get into nesting mm. more than ever before. And so investing in their nest, their yes. home, their, their backyard yep. is going to be important. Interesting. So. What's interesting about that too is uh, one of my best friends here in Nashville, Alan Dixon, is a top performing real estate agent in Nashville. And um, actually, he was just on, was it yesterday, Lincoln? He was talk, talking about, uh, he was building out a company, he was building out a brokerage, and he realized it just wasn't him. And uh, he's a sales guy. He's not a, he's not mm-hmm. a manager. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a business owner. He's a sales guy. So he, he killed that company recently, and just he's, uh, he's under compass now, and he's just crushing it. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a, rock star sales guy. He found his superpower. He found his know? superpower. Yeah. He found, he kind of found like what he, when he was honest with himself, he found like what he was built for. Yeah. But anyhow, uh, he is, uh, he's not slowing down at all right now, yeah. which yeah. surprised me. I figured the real estate, uh, I figured it gets soft in Nashville for a few months. It's not getting soft, at least not for him. Yeah. He's got close. His leads are strong. He's got closings lined up. He's, he's actually really doing great right now, right in the middle of all of this, this COVID stuff. Now you're, um, you mentioned lifestyle structures. Um, obviously, the storage shed industry is is very competitive, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of strong competition that would focus on more the commodity, mm-hmm. the the storage uh, structures, and just kind of focusing in on that. Was your shift to? I, I assume you still do that, but it's a segment of your business. Mm-hmm. And was your shift to more lifestyle structures and some of the options and 
uh, some of the customization or maybe even some of the the feel or the um, the branding the experience yeah the experience mm-hmm. the focus on that was that because you look sort of kind of as a strategic thing you surveyed the market realized you didn't want to kind of compete at this level you wanted to be different and that's where you went after it or you saw there was a demand there that no one was how did you get into you know, that really, specific niche? Really, probably first it just came from I don't have any passion for the commodity space, mm. uh, so I'm not interested in in selling you know 10 million sheds mm-hmm. uh, that are just we happen to be the cheapest, right? Sure. And also fundamentally, you know, personally, I love I love quality, whether mm-hmm. it's vehicles, whether it's you know, I've, I've always been that way. I my uh, one of my first vehicles I bought was an old. Lexus SUV, right? Yeah. It wasn't cool. I mean, I was 25 or something. It definitely wasn't a cool car for a 25-year-old. Yeah. And and I it cost me about the same as I could have bought a brand new, cool-looking, cheap car, right? Sure. So I've always loved quality, something that lasts long, something that's generational. Um, and that just doesn't go with the commodity space. The the second aspect is is if if you look at really the the probably the other big driving factor is really helping families live more memorable and organized lives. Mm-hmm. And while 15 years ago, I couldn't have put that into words for you or those words for you, I, I saw so many folks in the industry just treating a customer like another number. And you see it on you know websites and reviews or lack of reviews and et cetera. And, and just wanting is something my father instilled in me. Now, my father was not a business person at all. Um, unfortunately, I lost him to cancer a, a few years ago. Uh, but but my father understood one thing, and that is human the human connection and what truly is the bottom line, both you know mm-hmm. religiously uh, in faith and and in personal connections. And so he he wasn't able to scale the business because he spent hours and hours on one delivery, one install, right? Ah, uh, right. Uh, where where a, a really good installer can do what four or five in a day, right? Yeah. Um. So I I took that sort of passion. And, you know, as, as a young kid growing up, um, we were sort of like farmers in the aspect that I was helping out in the company before I could ever remember. Right. Right. Um, but the thing I, the first thing I really remember when I was probably four five, six, eight, you know, after school during the summer is going with my, with my dad to do installs, to do deliveries. And, by, by probably seven, I got good enough. Once he got the shed in place, I'd set it. I'd get it leveled up. I was skinny and young, so I could crawl underneath him. He was not so skinny and young, so it worked out good. So he would, he would uh, you know, shoot the bull with the, with the customer for an hour or two hours, and I would get the shed set and come back and uh, wait for him to, you know, wait for him and the, and the family that we were serving to, to finish up the conversation. And then he'd come inspect my work and make sure it was good. And off we went. I loved it. He loved it. It was, nice. a, it was a great deal. But really, I took that, that foundation and said, how can we serve families? Now, right. our, our vision and, and mission is with scale, but in a way that does not, we're not going to scale at the expense of that, that, you know, raving fan customer service. We're not right. just trying to make people happy. We're not looking for happy customers. We're looking for folks that are absolutely raving fans. Yes. And so it became a, it became a passion. And so as we started investing into it, we, we rebranded, we changed a lot of things. And, but I got to be honest, even today, Kent, I, I look, I watch customer video testimonials and I look at photos and videos of what they're doing with the product and it blows my mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's this vision we had, but yet, on the other hand, you go, do, real, do people really actually use their products like this at large scale? And they do, yes. turns out. You know? yes. So there, people are hungry for unique, personalized spaces, for something that they own, that they help create, they help co-create. Yes. Um, 
and that's somewhere they can add value to their lives, right? And, th- yeah. and therefore, lifestyle structures. Absolutely. Well, what I love about that is, you know, people are people are creative. People are generally capable. I know there's exceptions, but generally speaking, people are uh, innovative, creative, um, and you see this with like even I would say. Yeah, let's say Facebook, but even Twitter. Like you can create something, but if people don't latch on and start using it and making mm-hmm. it their own mm-hmm. and put their own spin doesn't on it, last. it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like we wouldn't have Facebook the way we have it now if people didn't just sort of grab onto it and start using it, put their own mm-hmm. spin on it. Facebook pays attention, then they start catering to that and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, you know, Zuckerberg did a great job masterminding Facebook to start, but he didn't mastermind what they have now. Right. A lot That's of right. that was people just using it. You've got to have the vision that. and then co-create it with the public Absolutely, in reality. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, back to uh, seven or eight years old, riding around with your dad delivering sheds. So I actually didn't know that your dad was in the shed industry when you were that young. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my, how, how my, did this all start then? Yeah. So my, you know, my parents married in '69. My dad and mom moved to Costa Rica. They had 11 kids there, um, all wow. born in Costa Rica. So we moved back to the U.S. in 1990 in actually Glasgow, Kentucky. So that's okay. the connection back to Kentucky. Um, and in Glasgow, Kentucky, I would I, there again go sit with dad in our office. We had one location eventually, like when we when we became a big company, right? The the one Wait, that this is could sheds all, at this point. Yeah, sheds okay. at this point. The one that could almost afford to feed the family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but for us, you know, that was probably when we opened that store in Glasgow. I'm going to say nine years in. Right. So okay. we were, I, I don't know, we were probably doing, we don't really keep records back then, but maybe, yeah. maybe 150, 200,000 bucks a year. Right. Sure. So very, very small. Uh, and I remember serving customers or, or watching my dad serve customers there as well. So is it really that, that, man, I hate to even call it customer service mm-hmm. because everybody calls everything in any version of customer service. This morning, unfortunately, all your great hotels in uh, Nashville are shut down right now. So the ones I've stayed at before and really love um, are, are not accepting reservations, at least not the ones my, my assistant could find. Really? And, uh, the one I, I stayed in, in February. I didn't know that. Yeah, the one I stayed in February is, is shut down as well. So anyways, huh. so I stayed at this... Um, what Homewood Suites by Hilton. And, yeah. uh, you know, I f- forgot my shaver, of course. And so yeah. I called to the front desk and, I mean, terrible service, right? Mm-hmm. I waited on it for 20 minutes and mm-hmm. I finally gave up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so... It, Yet they would call that customer service. Sure. Right. Yep. I mean, anything that's interfacing with customers, we call customer service. So it's it's raving fan experience. One of our core values as an organization is passionately exceed customers' expectations, mm-hmm. right? Um, so so watching my dad do that, he definitely did it. He didn't do it at scale. But, uh, but yeah, my father founded the company in 1990. Um, and then, was it Ulrich Barn Builders? No, so, it was, so it? it was in, in Kentucky, obviously, you know, being Kentucky, bluegrass, Portable buildings. Oh, nice. So there you can really okay. see, uh, you know, just the state, vision sure. for just the state, yep. and then portable buildings, which is, you know, although 70% of our product does get built in the factory and, and, and relocated, it's definitely not a focus on that it's portable. It's just sure. a, it's a way to modularly produce a product, very high quality, very customized, but yet deliver a phenomenal um, timeline, cost, and, and, and quality to the mm-hmm. customer. So, yeah, so my father, I grew up in the industry. Um, I was saying what, two and a half when my father started the company. Mm. So, um, and then relocated in, in, uh, 2001 to Cleburne, Texas, which is where the factory actually, uh, in, in Texas still is today. What so, took the family there? Uh, church. So oh, okay. my, uh, my parents, you know, grew up 
very, I mean, Amish Mennonite, very conservative. Okay. Um, like Beachy? Or no, no, Amish Mennonite, like, uh, gosh, some some weird mix between Amish and Mennonite. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so We'll get way over people's heads real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost more like a, like a Mid-Atlantic? No, no, much, much okay. more conservative than that. Okay, so, gotcha. Uh, now we're getting over my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so literally like almost Amish, but yet Mennonite. Gotcha, so, yeah. I see. Um, so, so that, you know, the relocating to Texas uh, to be part of a church there. And then eventually mm. my father, my father was really a pastor at heart, right? Mm. I mean, he loved, that's why I understood the, the human connection. Mm. And he wasn't a, a Bible thumping, you know, mm-hmm. preacher boss kind of preacher. He He spent a lot of time, in fact, uh, after he was diagnosed with cancer, um, I, I came to his house one morning and he was he was sicker than a dog. And he literally got up like at 11 o'clock at night and went and bought Pampers for this family who was almost homeless, didn't have a car at like 1 a.m., went to Walmart, got Pampers and took it to them. And he just, he just wow. almost to the extent it was, right, you, you, he could have position himself differently and help that many more people. Sure. But that wasn't his thing. Scale was never his thing. Yeah, it was that personal, unique yeah. connection and really seeing that one more person or right. no Christ. So yeah. um, impacted, you know, over his lifetime, one at a time impacted hundreds, if mm-hmm. not thousands of people. So mm-hmm. um, definitely, definitely a f- phenomenal legacy. But yeah, so that's, that's how I got in the, in the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 2001, we moved rebranded to Ulrich instead of to Lone Star or oh, something else that's, that's gotcha. back to state level. So yeah. And was it his company at this point when you moved to, when yes, you moved yeah. to Texas so, in 2001? So he, he would have owned hundred percent at that point. And then my, my next older brother, David and him co-founded um, or rebrand the rebrand right in Texas. And then uh, I literally dropped out of uh, my my first year in high school. So when I completed ninth grade, I I bounced out and became the company's first full time salesperson. So oh wow, we were doing probably a million million two at that time, um, and uh, got in the sales and loved it. And okay. that was also by happenstance, you know, back to eight or nine years old watching my dad service customers. Yeah, right? so I sort of had a concept of how to do it. Yep. And then uh, I was working in the factory weekends and and. Uh, after school and summer, et cetera. And when no one else was in the office, my father and my brother, um, I would, the shop foreman would come to me and say, Hey, you know more about this than the rest of us in here. So I'd get off the roof. I remember one time in particular, I was roofing a 12 or 24 lofted barn, you know, and I got off the roof and went over and, and I closed the deal and it sort of, sort of got in my blood. And I realized, right. I realized, uh, you know, that I really do enjoy that serving customers, but at scale. And so, yes. um, so then, uh, I don't know. It was like three years later. I think when I was eighteen, I made a deal to with my dad to uh, to buy his fifty percent, pay it over time. Right? Oh, okay. He he uh, knew I couldn't afford to write him a check because he right. didn't put a silver spoon in my mouth, and he didn't have <laughs> one to give me. So yeah. I don't blame him. Uh, <laughs> glad he didn't. Uh, wouldn't be where we are today without yeah. the, with that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's sort of the story. And then a, a number of years ago, uh, bought out my brother. And since then we've done a few other acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really all in that focus, right? If, if yeah. it doesn't fit our niche and if it doesn't fit our mission, it's not something we're going to do. So we've actually gotten yeah. rid of about 80% of our product because it wasn't in our core. Interesting. Over, over, how, how recently? That would have been 2015, I believe. Okay. Um, 2000, yeah, about 2015. Were you cut yeah. 80% of your product lines? No. Wow. Yeah, so we had we had just on and on and on and on of products. Yeah. Uh, so what we've done is we've taken a lot fewer products and made them much more 
configurable mm-hmm. um, to where folks really can customize. So instead of them pointing at a, a you know, Walmart has thousands and thousands of items, right? But yep. You can't customize them. Yep. Um, so instead, we have fewer products, but then you can customize it, make it the way you want it. So, what were some of the ones you cut? You're talking about like product lines, like say, for example, chicken coops or dog kennels, that right. type of thing. You're cutting yeah, or, or shed styles. Uh, most mostly other products, not in the core okay, business. So, gotcha. so dog kennels and etc. What? Yeah. yeah. Any others that you cut? Because we, yeah, we so, cut quite a lot of yeah. So lines we did we did gazebos, dog kennels. Um, Were you building kids play houses? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, kids playhouse. Uh, not kids playhouses. Kids playgrounds. Um, tea houses, patio furniture. And you know what's okay. interesting is we, we really had to do that to get to our course. So that was during right. that was during. Um, and we did this, by the way, you know, 2008, I read a book, you know, first of all, I bought into Zig Ziglar's philosophy. You know, he gave me a pen that uh, said, we choose not to believe in the recession. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Texas, that was pretty easy to do in 2008 because the recession hadn't hit us there yet. Right. But it did hit us later. And and I, re- I was reading this book. That's where I got a lot of my education and then watching others' mistakes and successes. Um, yep. And I've made plenty Plenty of, of failures myself, plenty of mistakes myself, um, some expensive, some not so expensive. Yeah. Um, but all in all, it's a very expensive education and I'm, yep. I'm sure you can yep. relate to that. Absolutely. So, and, and it's, so if, if you, I was reading this book one night, it's probably one o'clock at night and it was, it was talking about the 80, 20 principle, right? Mm-hmm. 80% mm-hmm. of what you do brings 20% of your results. 20% of you, what you do brings 80% of your results. Mm-hmm. And I thought, dadgum, that can't be true of us. Come on. Right. We're, we're smarter than that. And I think it was about one business day later, it got the best of me. I closed my office door and I pulled out a spreadsheet and I started plugging in numbers. And I think it was 73% of our business was coming from like 25% of our efforts. Isn't and that, that was something how that was locations. That, that was on locations. Okay. And so we literally shut oh, down. We had 35 locations. locations. Yeah. We had 35 locations <laughs> and we went down. Ultimately, um, today we have in that same market. Now we have other markets now, but in that same market, we have three locations. Wow. Um, and so we do, we do online as well as, as, as stores and obviously doing significantly more business than we were doing then. So yeah. 350% more. Yeah. Um, and then, and the next sort of natural to that became, uh, product groups. So what's interesting now as we look to the future though, some of those product groups will be adding back in, but we already have mm-hmm. a core. Mm-hmm. We already have our voice. We already have. So at that point, we were still more of a commodity business, trying to sell these things that are lifestyle structures, and that doesn't go very well. So right. a lot of our client base also didn't jive well with it. They wanted interesting. A, they wanted the kids, pl- you know, playground, but they wanted something cheap. Well, yes, there's Costco for that, right? Right. Um, the one your kid's going to fall off on, and you can't sue because it's outsourced to a third third world country where they manufacture it, and etc. Yep. So it's uh, it. I think as we go into the future, some of those products will have a big comeback and we'll, we'll carefully and strategically bring some of those back in. Right. So. Yeah. Fascinating. Back to, uh, did you always know when your dad was running the company, did you always know that you wanted to be a part of it? You know, for me, I, I truly believe in following your passion and just sort of going with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do what you're good at, find something you enjoy at, find your your superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget it was before we started, before we we're talking or since uh, you started the podcast of you got to find your superpower. And if mm-hmm. you really do what you're, what you're love doing and what you're good at. And so mm-hmm. as a company, we spend a lot of time trying to identify what is our superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, that's true of organizations. Organizations are living, breathing 
you know, organisms just yes. like we are as humans. And so it's, we have, it has its own personality, it has its own things. It's good and not good at based upon the makeup, you know, of its, of the sum of its parts. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm not uh, looking back when I was eight, nine, 10. No, I never sat there and said, gosh, I want to own the company one day okay. and grow yeah. this empire. Right. It's yeah. not, there was never the mission. Yep. I just did, took one day at a time put a hundred percent into it, loved it. Yep. Things I didn't love, I'll let someone else do. Right. And, yep. and, uh, you know, every single day I tried to improve and, and I mean, I read lots and lots of books, yeah. you know, hundreds of books and lots around the thoughts of self-improvement. And thankfully mm. I got into the side that's not sort of whatever you believe can happen, sure. which is, Somewhat true, but depending how you know, the, right. it has to come with work ethic. Has to come with it gets focus. weird really quick. It gets weird, yeah. weird really quick. Yeah. Yep. So, so I was blessed to to tie in a lot of content like Zig Ziglar um, and and other greats, uh, Jim Collins, and, mm-hmm. and books that are really I think still solid and fundamental. You know, fundamentally solid today. So yeah, absolutely. Man, it was it was kind of the um, it was it was it was kind of the wild west back in the day. I remember I remember uh, going with dad to work whenever I could. And on Saturdays for sure. And uh, Saturdays were busy days for sales. And we had a little tiny sales office. <laughs> and there we would, we would sell like this wood furniture also. So mm-hmm. we'd had wood furniture inside the sales office that people would sit on. And I kid you not. Well, this was, this was when, uh, this was a few years later than when I was selling too. But you would be at a desk. You know, we were open from, I think at that point, from 9 to 12 on a Saturday. Which is kind of funny. It's like, right, you know, right. you probably should have been open a little later in the day. Uh, but, uh, nine to 12 and there's people driving hour, hour and a half frequently. And they would be sitting in this office, like the, the little office would only hold like maybe six couples at a time, mm-hmm. four or five, six couples at a time full. And sometimes there's people like waiting outside and I'm just like writing orders. Right. You know order what I mean? taking. It was yep. order taking yep. and it was a dream. Like now, you know, now it's a, be a dream to have people waiting Absolutely. in line to, to, uh, to take your yep. order. But back then it was just kind of expected. And if it got crazy enough, I'd text mom or call her and be like, I need help. And she'd run over and take some orders. And yep, that way yep. people didn't have to wait too long <laughs> and get upset and stuff, you know? Um, it's but, almost like uh, you were a fast food restaurant, right? Yeah, it's it really like, was. Yeah, we're it was. Subway and the line's long. Exactly. Yep, yep. But, um, but yeah, the sales, that always really intrigued me. I remember selling my younger brother, Ben. He's three years younger than I. And I, I sold him so many sheds just to practice. Like yep. when we were kids, I don't yep. even know how young, probably, probably seven or eight. And uh, just sold him a bunch of stuff because I'd watch dad do it and figure, you know, name and address. And back then you had home and, and work, yeah. you know, if you remember that. <laughs> and then you'd write the, uh, you'd write the directions. It's so crazy. You'd write the directions to get to their house on the back of the order before the days of GPS, yeah. you know, like take a right here and then a left there. And um, so, so, so I don't know where my dad came up with the idea, but we actually didn't even write down directions because in Kentucky, as you know, the roads are quite narrow. And so most of our installs required a, a pilot car. So oh, he okay. literally would get the client, you know, I don't know if this would work today and it's definitely not efficient, but he would get the client to come and, and escort us from the factory to their home. Oh, so wow. they were our directions. They were oh, our GPS. Interesting. And, and, you know, he put a, a, a wide load sign on their front bumper right. and, and they thought it was the greatest thing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I mean, they, they thought were it was awesome. Majority. There were some customers yeah. who freaked out a bit because they yeah. thought they were taking on, you know, the risk and et cetera, right. but most yep. customers loved it. You know, yes. they were, they were, they were, again, I think it's part of that co-creating before that was even a thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, where they were actually involved in the process and they loved it. So. Absolutely. I think of those days as sort of the romantic days of the shed industry. 
because no one really knew yet what it was. And uh, it was it was very young. Like customers were very f- intrigued and fascinated by these mom and pop shops. They yep. had their kids riding around with them. Yep. They were selling yep. them sheds, delivering sheds. They had their kids involved. They would do the pilot car driving. You know, right. it was very crazy. It was very crazy. <laughs> very, it was very kind of mom and pop. It was just, it just feels like kind of the romantic days of the industry. Um, Zig, well, Zig, I think, I think for both of us, you know, growing up in the industry, I mean, it's always going to be part of our story and, right. and, and, uh, history. And you think back on those days and I, I think you lost your father, yeah. um, at, at a much younger age than I did. I was 28. Uh, so four years ago, I guess. And, you know, it's, it's, I always look back on those memories as fond. You know, right. I don't really remember ever going fishing with my dad or mm-hmm. him playing soccer with me, mm-hmm. but I remember doing with my father was, we also did back in the day, some custom painting and mm-hmm. I could walk you to the spot on this property in Kentucky where I, you know, held a flashlight and helped him fix our, our spray, spray um, machine um, yes. at 11 o'clock at night or something, you know, it felt yes. like one, but it probably wasn't. He'd probably put me in right. bed by that. Um, and going with him on deliveries and all, all these things. Yep. So it's, it's funny as I look back, you know, I don't look back as he was a slave driving me because that was absolutely not who dad was. Mm-hmm. We, we, if anything, he didn't uh, pick up efficiencies enough. Yep. Um, but it just looked super, super fond memories, you know, of, of looking back on that. Very so. similar, very similar. Um, do I have a memory of playing catch with my dad? I don't think that I do. I got in the little league soon after he died. Um, and I'm trying to think now. I do remember they would they would have these weekends. It probably wasn't more than once a year. It felt like a lot where their old friends would get together and we would play with, you know, the other kids our mm-hmm. age. It'd be mm-hmm. the adults and their friends. Um, so he was, he loved to do that. Um, he, he really enjoyed playing games like Monopoly and card games. I, I just never, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to play any kind of games like yeah. that, board games and such. It's not my jam. I get bored uh, well, much too, much too quickly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he that did that, thing. but, but very similar with you. Like my memories of my dad are riding with him often to go down into Pennsylvania somewhere, probably two, three hours away to pick up gazebos. And he leave at like three or four in the morning, mm-hmm. get down there, load. That way he could head home when it was about uh, daybreak because mm-hmm. you can't drive with oversized loads yep. during the night. Yep. I remember a lot of those trips, you know, getting woken up at like 3 a.m. and kind of, you know, laying on the seat beside him. And I, I remember specifically, this is, this is, I remember specifically kind of like, kind of like peering at him to see if like he'd want to talk. You know what I mean? Like right. he was driving. Like, I don't know why I felt like, you know, why he wouldn't. I just right. felt like, you oh, I don't want to disturb him unless he wants to talk. No, no. And he always did. Um, going to work with him. Um, those are my memories of him. And what's interesting about that is extremely fond memories. I don't feel like Absolutely. I got gypped as a child at yep. all because yep. uh, we weren't tussling all the time, which he totally would. But, uh, but um, for me, the takeaway there is that your kids don't have to be the center of the parent's life for them to have a good childhood. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. it's probably not good if they are. You're the parent you know, have your focus, have your vision, you know, and then bring the kids along with you on that. Right, right. And don't make, don't make your life as a parent centered around your kids because the kids can't handle that pressure. That's mm-hmm. not even what they're there for. If it's just all about them, then that, that puts too much pressure on yeah. them. So it's, it's a journey together, right? And then introducing yeah. them to that journey. Absolutely. And, and be able to launch on their own eventually that's successfully. The whole, that's so. the whole point. It's, um, you know, I think uh, I think Mariana's mom and dad, which are still Amish, which you might know, but yeah, I do. Uh, great folks. Yeah, great folks. But uh, I think they were hoping that Mariana would feel a little bit more homesick when we got married and she left <laughs> home. And I, I just remember telling Mariana's mom, like, 
I wouldn't feel bad about that at all. It means you did your job really well. That's yeah. that's the whole point of parenting, you know. Yeah. Um, Zig Ziglar, self improvement, um, reading. When did you get into? And maybe maybe uh, the timeline is different with getting into Zig Ziglar or reading in general. But um, what what resonated with you about Zig Ziglar, and when did you get into his stuff? So I would, you know, I was fifteen when when I dropped out of high school. Um, my after I completed my first year. And by, by the way, I love school, right? So I was, uh, I had a uh, professor call me the other day. I had to come in and give a speech to her entrepreneurship class um, in, it's a little college, Seventh-day Adventist College, close to the factory. And so I said, sure. And so as we're, as we're meeting ahead of the uh, presentation, um, it was a very interactive, great, great group of students. And uh, I, I told him, I said, I, some of the board and the president, I think, knew that I had dropped out of high school, but I don't think she did. And I said, I guess, you know, I actually dropped out. So that's part of my story. And I'm yeah. going to, by the way, I'm going to talk about that. Sure. So, yeah. uh, now, I, I don't recommend it to others. Right. I don't walk around and I didn't go into that class and say, and what was funny is she actually stopped me um, as I said that to the class and said, no, I'm telling you, if you guys have something to go do, you don't need me, go do it. Oh, wow. Um, so she was yeah. actually, you know, not... I, in the right context, right, encouraging right. people. Yep. School, I think we sometimes think is going to set us up. Mm-hmm. It helps us. It mm-hmm. helps us figure out it. It, it, it. it arms us with the right tools and knowledge and resources yep. if you're set out to do something. Yes. Right? But uh, it's like putting gas in the car, but you don't have an engine or a GPS, mm-hmm. right? It's not yes. going to do you any good. Yep. Um, so, so back to Zig Ziglar. So I started reading. I, I love school, but I just, I was bored. Um, and uh, frankly, you know, I saw an, I, at that point, I thought I saw an opportunity in the company. And, uh, so I, I chose, and my, and, you know, a lot of people go, how'd your parents deal with that? Well, you can understand my parents didn't go to college, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, the rest of my family didn't go to high school even because okay. in, in Costa Rica, most of my older siblings, cause I'm next to the youngest, they went through their, 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 um, elementary school or primary school was through grade six. Right. So wow. I was already grade nine. I had uh, educated myself. Yeah, I was doing good. <laughs> um, but, but I think the education, I mean, had I stopped my education there or just taken a normal education path from there of, of what most folks learn in the next 10 years, uh, it, it wouldn't have been good for me. Mm. Right. But I jumped out and I started reading, reading, reading really from the time I was 15. And I, I read, I mean, I would go to Borders books, you know, now Amazon books and I buy like 10 books. I'd read through those in a few weeks and then I go back and I buy another 10 and I go back and I buy another 10. And I read, you know, I probably read 10, um, you know, pleasure reading books in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I always loved, I mean, a lot of these are fiction books, Pat Lencioni's books, right. Yep. Um, Jim Collins books. I mean, they're fiction, but they're based on their studies in real life of yes. business and teams and all these other things. So I went to a, I'd read quite a bit of Zig's content, um, signed up for his class, went with my brother and a few other friends, and we went to his old Born to Win series uh, seminar. So it was, mm. a, a, if I remember right, three-day seminar Where? Uh, Where was in Dallas. This? In Dallas, they're and close how, to his corporate office. I was 17. You were 17. Um, and they, they, Ziegler has a, um, Tom and, and other folks have now, his son Tom's great, great person, by the way, um, They've done it. They do a born to win series, uh, born to win seminar, but it's a different seminar than what it actually, you know, obviously was back then mm-hmm. under Zig. And so, um, the whole thing, I got a certificate at the end of this and I still have it on my office wall. Um, and it, 
growing up conservative Amish Mennonite, you didn't hear these words a lot generally, mm. right? Uh, but my parents big time taught me this. And so it gave me the sort of really, I was sort of broken out of the shell already. And then it really encouraged and sort of pushed me over the edge. And and he gave me the certificate and it said, you're, you're, his philosophy was you're born to win, right? Mm-hmm. God, Ziggs obviously was a believer. God made you to win, right? For his purpose, but mm-hmm. God made you to win. You just have to find what that is and go do it and go kill it. And that mm-hmm. was, that was a monumental piece of what I think uh, you know, foundation that launched me into the rest of life. And so that was when I was 17. And then we engaged with the Ziegler organization over the next probably 10 years um, to come in and do sales training and, you know, motivational speeches. And mm. um, I've given, a, you know, every book out there, I've probably given more Zig books away than anything else. So, oh, yeah. And then, you know, another fundamental th- book was uh, Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's sort of a life skills 101 book, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, and that also goes, you know, Zig obviously was a, uh, or Carnegie was a forerunner to Zig. And so all of that, I don't know, it just, it just really hit home with me on God has put us here for something bigger and greater and he has a purpose and a mission and whether mm-hmm. that's a pastor or a business person for kingdom good or uh, you know a doctor a nurse a homemaker it doesn't matter what it is yep. the vocation's not the point it's the calling right so i think yep. you know we talk about um th- there's the old i don't remember the story now but uh the old painter right and he's painting this masterpiece and he's really just mm-hmm. painting a building and i can't bring mm-hmm. the uh, story to mind right mm-hmm. now but you know it's it's doing everything it's actually biblical teaching right. as unto the Lord. Yes. You're not, you're yep. not flipping burgers from McDonald's. You're flipping burgers, not for the customer. Ultimately you're flipping burgers as unto the Lord. So do it the absolute daggum yes. best you can, right? Yeah. With passion and integrity and quality. Yeah. That's a very biblical principle. And my example for that was my grandfather, my grandfather, Ben Lapp on the, on my dad's dad. And you know, he wasn't a flashy man. He wasn't a fancy man. He wasn't a businessman. He was very faithful you know, he was, he was a peach farmer and he did a great job over many, many years and he did his work as unto the Lord, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, you're totally right. I remember what got me into reading business books. I was probably 20 or 21 and uh, I enjoyed school also. And, uh, but for whatever reason, didn't really get into reading business books in my teenage years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were at a, trade show in Vermont. It was Marianne and I, so we were married, no kids, but uh, I had hauled a horse barn up there and was working the show that weekend. And we had gotten there on a Thursday or something to set up and the show didn't start until the next day. So we went to Barnes and Nobles and just kind of killing time, looking through books and stuff mm-hmm. and um, grabbed Good to Great by Jim Collins because yep. I ha- had heard you know a little bit about him in the book and things. And so there it was. So just grabbed it off the bookshelf in Barnes and Noble, sat down on the bench. And, and I see it on the bookshelf some. behind you right there. Yeah. It is. Good yeah. To great. That's not the book. From, right. uh, <laughs> I don't, no, it's not, unfortunately. But um, and just read for a couple hours and just got sucked in, man. I could not put yeah. it down. Yeah. Just the concepts were fascinating and and then uh, that's what started my love for reading nonfiction business books yeah. and self-help and self-improvement. And then, um, and then I did go through a phase at some point then in the next five to seven years where it got a little weird. I think, I think I allowed it to get to a place that maybe it shouldn't have. Maybe mm-hmm. it became a little bit of an idol. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you mentioned you know, re- reading self-improvement books and, and self-development books and personal growth and, and business nonfiction type books and things... You know, taking care not to let it get 
out of whack. Yeah, you yeah. know, keep it in its proper place. I, I, you know, as, as you're as you're talking, it sort of reminded me of. I think where it gets out of whack is when we think we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? right. What Song of Solomon says, or, or not, not, not not Song of Solomon, uh, Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, I forget, talks about um, there's nothing new under the sun, right? right. Yes, and, Ecclesiastes, and yes. Ecclesiastes. Yep. And so I think that's an important, as we read these things, you know, Jim Collins, it's not original with him. He's discovering principles that right. are timeless, yes. right? And if they're not timeless... Then it's probably going to get weird. Yes. Right. Yeah, if it's some true. kind of new yes. yeah. idea that nobody's ever heard of before, yes. maybe it's not solid. Maybe it's not something you should be looking at. But if you yeah. look at, you know, the, I mean, all the way back to scripture, and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to pick three points. You go scripture, Andrew Carnegie's, or Dale Carnegie's, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, yeah. a lot of his other books, a lot of things match there, right? Right. I, I think Jesus, in fact, there's a, a book out there. Uh, you know, the greatest salesman who ever lived. Mm. I think Jesus was the greatest salesman who mm. ever lived, right? And it's not some kind of used car salesman tactic. It's right. true servant leadership. It's true yeah. servanthood, uh, not subservient. Mm-hmm. As as uh, you know, Dave Ramsey's obviously you know, close by here, and mm-hmm. I, I love you know, it's, it's servant leadership is not subservient. It is mm-hmm. servant leadership. You're serving from a position of authority or power, but it's all from service mm-hmm. um, for the greater good. Yep. Um, that's something that's great for the the community, for the folks that you're serving, uh, for your own family, yep. uh, right? And and ultimately, you know, for the kingdom, hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think those books that are not tying you into those timeless principles. It gets weird. And also those books that sort of teach you, lead you to a, a fundamental mindset that I can sort of pull myself up on my own bootstraps. Right. Yep. The principles, and I think you would echo this, the principles that I've learned have just been applying. The, the, the pulling myself up by my own bootstraps is just simply getting out of my own daggum way, mm-hmm. right? Putting aside my, my weird ideas, putting aside laziness or selfishness or pride or whatever it is, and just going and actually being willing to plug into the real stuff, yes. right? And applying that, right? Yes. So we do have to do that, right? Jesus had 12 disciples. One did, one didn't. 11 did. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have to apply ourselves as the part we have to play. But these principles are much greater than me or you or Jim Collins or anybody else, right? I, I mean, totally it's, it's agree. Timeless. I timeless. totally agree. And I think, I think there's something in there that's a case for a creator too, because if you think about how... The, the thing is, if you, I just don't know what to do with beauty if there's not a creator. How do you explain beauty if there's not a creator? And, you know, the, the obvious ones are like the beauty of creation because there's mm-hmm. things in creation that are just not necessary for the ecosystem. Right. Like, you know, you can you can pull out this caterpillar here or this fish that lives so deep in the ocean, we don't actually know what it's there for mm-hmm. or really what it eats or what, e- it, it, what eats it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you can pull out a few things and you don't lose anything. Mm-hmm. There's things that are what seem to be there... And it's possible that there's things that we don't even, they're there and we don't even know their meaning yet. Right. Uh, but there are things in creation. How do you explain away that the beauty of creation mm-hmm. without a creator? Well, but it math doesn't, math but it doesn't, and science, right? How it, orderly it is well, and how predictable it is. That's and, exactly where I was going is another thing I think we think about a lot less is the beauty of our natural laws. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think these books that can make such a big difference. Ultimately, they're going to tie back into principles in scripture because it's not just because the scripture is a really good book and happen to get a lot of things right. It's because actually 
what does Proverbs say? It says something along the lines of, by wisdom, God formed the earth. And so there's a sink for society. There's a way of doing things. There's a, there's a way you can plug into society and structure and creation that works. Right. And then there's a lot of ways that, that if you try to do that, that don't. Mm-hmm. And so these principles, the ones that stick and the ones that make a difference are ultimately just tying back into like the roles of nature and creation and and mm-hmm. how humans work. Science is a great example. Math. Math is probably my favorite example because like it or not, two plus two equals four. You yep. can you can fool around with it. You can try to change. It's not going to change. It doesn't matter how you talk about it. It just is. You can't yep. change it. Right. Um, and so there's these roles that God has kind of created that govern things and tying into like a way that things work with society or interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships. Like that stuff that stuff is not just kind of fluky, fly by night, you know, weird. Like yep. it actually, it actually is true. And and that and that ties into another one of Zig's things he talks he talks about is uh, that I that had a huge impact, and I would would have probably been from that same uh, three day seminar. Um, but if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get what you want, and mm-hmm. that's back to mm-hmm. that's back to servant service again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's ultimately what Jesus did. Jesus came here. Because he wanted something, right? I mean, he, he died, and that's a big deal. But he did it because he wanted something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, was, he had to be unselfish to be able to get that. Sure. Instead of being power-grabbing, money-hungry, truly selfish, yep. then you're not going to get it. So, yep. I've, you know, we talk about the, you may have heard the concept of the upside-down kingdom, right? And so many laws are that way. If you truly, have, if you truly think about it, this is my opinion, um, not original with me, but if you, if you truly actually want to be selfish, right? At the end of the day, you want a really good life. You have to be unselfish. Mm-hmm. Sort of weird, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But but if you just if you if you don't care about being selfish, you just sort of as a concept think it's great. You can go out and be selfish, and you're not going to have you know sure. you're not going to have anything. You're not going to yeah. have true joy and true happiness and yes. all 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 the rest of it. Um, so it's sort of that upside down kind of thing. And, and yep. then and then what's weird is just how it all ties together. So um, you know if you get in a plane to go deliver water to a um, disaster zone, right? Drinking water, for example, the disaster zone. You're doing good and investing in others. That's great. But while that one law that you're actually carrying out the mission, there's a million others. There's mm-hmm. gravity working for you, mm-hmm. right? There's uh, Brunelli's principles, all these different principles that just make flight possible for you to be able to right. take off. And then you pull back the power and gravity pulls you down. That's yeah. Without gravity, you could never go give the water to anybody. Right. And so it's just, it blows my mind sometimes, especially when I'm flying, just to think about what's what's the core principle, the can't even really call it the core principle, right? We have those as organizations and as, and as humans, but what's that core to like God's creation principle, yes. right? Yes. That, what do you call that? The timeless principle or the, mm-hmm. what are those principles that we're living out in one particular act that we're doing? All the things that have to work together, mm-hmm. all those principles that without one of them, it wouldn't work. Yes, totally. Absolutely totally. Amazing. That's, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me the most when I was learning to fly back in, I don't know, probably 2013. It was, I didn't know you were fly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, it was cool. right before we moved to Nashville. I was doing, um, I was doing cross country solos. Okay. And uh, then we moved to Nashville and I hadn't, haven't picked it up since. So I haven't flown since 2013 oh, probably, well. but uh, man, I, I really I really need to go for a ride tomorrow. That would be fun. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. But um, 
one of the things that uh, that really stood out to me was how you have to understand the laws that govern flight and be in accordance with them. Yeah, it's 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 very matter of fact. You yeah. know what I mean? You can wish it was different. You can hope it was different. You can try to Doesn't make it matter. different. It's not going to be different. Mm-hmm. You have to understand uh, speed, airspeed. You know all of these different things. That uh, it's just it's just very matter of fact. If you mm-hmm. know how mm-hmm. it works and you operate in accordance with the principles. You're going to have a great flight. It's going to be very fun. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be safe. And it's going to be awesome. If you try to fudge a system, you, you die. And the great thing I think about that is, is whether you understand it or not, it's going to be that way. Exactly. And and then you can also, you, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm sort of a practical person and uh, sometimes probably not fun to be around because of that. Um, but if, if you just think about it, I mean, I know, I know people in my life who just get absolutely enthralled with why gravity works. Mm. I don't really care, me right. personally. Right? right? I don't really care why gravity works. I just yeah. know that it is always going to work yeah. that way, and so then I have to behave in such a way yeah. that I, I put gravity on the good side of things, not right. the bad side. Right? Yeah. I can, <laughs> can use it to land the plane. I can use it for, um, you know, for skiing down a hill, which yep. is fun. I can use it to go skydiving, which I haven't done. Yeah. Uh, or you can choose. Not to pay attention, even if you don't understand why gravity, which I really don't, (laughs) you know, I don't understand why gravity works that way. I mean, you know, simply I do, but not really fundamentally or, uh, or in detail. Yeah. You can either choose to live by the principle or not live by the principle. And I think if we had to understand all the principles to be able to bring it all together, right. Like the, the core of the principle and why it works that way. Mm -hmm. That'd be pretty complicated. So God made it in such a way where you don't even really have to understand it. You just have to understand X is X, yes. Y is Y. Yeah, you're right about that. Totally right. Who are you paying attention to today or who are you getting inspiration from or learning from today? So I think, you know, as as I've gotten older, I've obviously still read uh, not as much as I used to, but I read quite a bit. Um, Pat Lencioni, you know, the company went from a phase of just, just start with Zig Ziglar. That was me understanding how wonderful God made me and every other team member in the company and, and other human in my life and other humans I don't know, obviously. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's just leading yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And then it got into things like uh, Jim Collins. It sort mm-hmm. of graduated into things like, or changed into things like Jim Collins on, on building a company, a building an organization that goes from good to great. Mm-hmm. And understanding the nuances of what really makes it go from, from good to great. Um, some some things are obvious, some things are not so obvious, and then and then a lot of I found a lot of value in Pat Lencioni's work, and we still use mm-hmm. a lot of his uh, things at the company and principles. So Pat Lencioni's work on really building a great team, right? So you know, you've got this organization you're trying to build, and you have a mission and a BHAG and all these things that Jim talks about. But guess what? You got to have people to go make it happen. So um, one of the things I've actually enjoyed is is Dave Ramsey's Entre Leadership um, uh, events that he does because he brings together. Uh, a lot of it. I've, I've done his, I went to his first one um, and I've been through to everyone since then. This year I'm going to miss it because they changed the date. My wife and I are going to be in, mm-hmm. in Bora Bora for our anniversary. And uh, so I'm probably not going to make that one. Yep. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to take as a team, we'll do that one virtually and then we'll be with, with them next year again. Okay. But what I've enjoyed about it is just, you know, Dave, Dave's obviously just a, a great guy and very forthright on how things are and uh, sharing his journey of bankruptcy and all these other things, yeah. which is which is phenomenal. But then also the amount of, or the concentration of great thought leaders, right? So Pat Lencioni and Jim Collins and um, 
Simon Sinek and uh, Alan Mulally, was Alan Mulally, years ago, and, right? You know, yeah. so all these all these great. It's sort of a it's sort of a mecca of bringing those people together. Yeah, Henry uh, just, Cloud, Henry Cloud. Yeah. Um, so I get I get you know probably practically um, probably practically. In, in the team building, you know, that's, that's a big, big thing for us as we go into the future at Ulrich. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's Pat Lencioni's work is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Staying close to Jim Collins work. Um, I, I see a bunch of my favorite books actually on your, on your bookshelf here. So mm-hmm. we've implemented EOS as an organization. So Gina Wickman's oh, really? work, um, okay. our, our implementer for that program, uh, is Mark Winters. And he wrote, I don't see yours. Um, uh, well, he wrote uh, Mark Winters. I think wrote uh, Rocket Fuel. Yes, he wrote Rocket with Fuel with Gina correct. Wickman. Right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. So, um, wor- you know, working through that, I, uh, I I realized this need after I bought my brother out. Um, I was serving as CEO and president, and so sort of working with uh, who wrote the book around finding your superpower, uh, your why, the ground, the ground uh, hedgehog principle. Um, well, the, hedge, the hedgehog principle is Jim Collins. Jim Collins, right? yes, yeah. Jim Collins. And so doing that individually as a person too, I realize what do I enjoy doing as we go into the next phase of you know the next decade at the company? Um, what am I really good at? What do I enjoy? And so based on that and, 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 and help, I was already down that path, which is made what, why I really... Um, why Gino Wickman and, and Mark Winter's work really sort of connected with me versus some of the other systems I had looked at. And so last year, mid-year, I hired a uh, integrator or president for the company mm. um, for, for the Texas branch. And then obviously the other markets have a market president as well. But it's that's been a game changer as well for me personally, not just as an organization, but me personally. Here's the way I look at it. Bottom line, Kent, is you always have to stay ahead of the curve, right? Mm-hmm. And if you if you're leading an organization or leading your family, you know your oldest son is nine. Mm-hmm. My oldest son Taylor is eight. Um, I've got to stay ahead of that. Yeah, right. Because they're getting older. They're and you're the same way, right? They're getting older, and if we don't constantly change and improve and learn new skills, guess what? We're going to get left behind. And you yeah. and I probably both know. Um, Parents who we saw that happen to, mm-hmm. right? They didn't change. They didn't. They mm-hmm. didn't stay ahead of the of the curve, or in business, or church, or wh- whatever area it is. I think, and so it's just interesting. You know, the things that I've never really thought about this question until you just asked it. Mm-hmm. Um, what triggered it is what are you currently ingesting and and yeah. reading material? But I think it sort of followed my need. What yeah, am I looking I for? Yeah. What am I struggling with? And then I go find content that can speak to that, right? Because yeah. guess what? Those, there's people who spend their entire life studying about this problem I'm having. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to recreate the will? Let me just go exactly. learn from those timeless principles yes. and, and you know, find what's right. Yep. For, you know, it's unique for each individual. But yes. um, in the grand scheme of things, it's all the same truth. Yeah, absolutely. What's fascinating about what you just mentioned, that, that kind of trajectory is very similar to, to my personal trajectory too with the books that I got into and... And, um, you know, the needs at the time and which mm-hmm. ones you were paying attention to and things like that. But this book, Rocket Fuel, this, um, man, this is one of my favorite business books of all time, but I only stumbled upon it, it's uh, November of 2016, okay. uh, referred by Brian Huddleston. I always write that on the inside of the, uh, any book that I read idea. now. So if someone refers a book, I like to, I like to notate it. But yeah, mm-hmm. the Rocket Fuel, it's ba- basically, it's all about, um, the integrating with visionary and an integrator and yep. how they can work together. And it's just basically the idea that, you know, everyone knows Warren Buffett, but a lot of people don't know there was someone behind the scenes Absolutely. that was just 
really making things work. Uh, what's another great ex- example? Walt Disney. What's Walt's brother's name? I forget. But uh, there was another Disney. Like Walt has a mm-hmm, brother. Mm-hmm. I don't even know his name. I can't even remember right. his name right now. You know what I mean? We don't. He doesn't get the. He's not the front man. He doesn't get kind of the recognition that Walt Disney did. But we wouldn't have Disneyland. We wouldn't have this great empire that Walt Disney built without the Absolutely. integrator. Absolutely. Um, so where do you fall on the visionary integrator scale? Do you have a little so bit the, of the, both, or are you yeah, strong so, one or the other? I'm, I think the original. Um, they have sort of a visionary integrator. A test mm-hmm. or a survey that they do. I think it was like ninety-two percent visionary. Okay. Um, I actually, it may have been, it may have been ninety-four. They just came out and and re-released a, sort of an updated version of that. Mm. And so I took that. Uh, gosh, I think it was last week, maybe. Oh wow! Um, as recently as last week, and I think I got a ninety-two on it. So I okay. really don't enjoy management. Yeah. Um, I enjoy casting a vision and trying to encourage people to get there. I don't mm-hmm. enjoy busting their chops every day to stay at work. Now, yeah. I've, I've been able to in, you know, make the call, the, the hard call. It's not something I enjoy, but when, when you have to separate, right? Because the way I look at it, there's 8 billion people in this world or roundabout, right? Mm-hmm. And we have 175 jobs as, as an organization, we're not going to be the right job for everybody, right? right? doesn't make that person a bad person just because they don't fit in one of the seats on our bus. Yeah, yeah that's um, a great point. Yeah. And so, and so it's, it's, I've been able to make a lot of those hard calls as we've grown. I mean, growing from a you know, million dollars to where we are today, there's obviously been a lot of transition and, and mm-hmm. some people want to continue to grow and invest in themselves. Some people, life circumstances change. Um, some people, the job changes, and so it just doesn't work. Um, but, I, but I really don't enjoy that day-to-day, making sure the trains run on time, managing the P&L, right. et cetera. And so um, Chris, Chris Pendergrass is the gentleman I heart as president, and, and I think he's on a trajectory to become our, our nationwide president. Mm. Um, and he is absolutely loves doing those things. He's good at it. He enjoys it. He has fun doing it. And so this... It it's really, you know, I'm, I'm having to go sort of like what I was individually having to invest in myself as an individual with Zig Ziglar today as CEO, how, or as visionary, how do I sort of remake myself and stay ahead of the curve mm-hmm. and be able to lead? Because in an organization at, at a million is very different than at 20 million, it's very mm-hmm. different than at 50 million, it's very different than at a hundred million, it's very different than at a billion or 6 billion or 12 billion, right? I mean, it, yeah organizations Very change yep. and you have to stay ahead of that. And I'm a hundred percent. I mean, listen, I think back when we were, you know, 8 million bucks, I was a pretty good president. Mm-hmm. Um, as we grew and, and it, things changed and we had another lo- level of leadership in the company, I wasn't so good of a president and I was lucky enough, um, you know, to sort of been born and then placed in an environment in my family where it's okay not to be good at everything. Sure. Um, recognize it, deal with it. And then, and then coming across the work that, that Gino and Mark did and really, really helped me um, put into words something that I felt, something I was okay with, something I talked about openly at the company mm-hmm. and, and figure out what's missing and being able to, to fill that in. So it's just... Yeah. It's it's uh you sort of taking me back on a trip of the books and my journey. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, interesting. yeah. And it well, sounds like very similar. Absolutely. To your journey, yeah, so. very similar. And even kind of the which books I started with and how it kind of went through. Yeah, very, entree leadership was very helpful to us in our business years ago. Very helpful. Um, I, I think the I think this concept is very important for both visionaries and integrators to grasp absolutely. because I think sometimes there's integrators that want to be a visionary. Mm-hmm. And feel like that's kind of the that's kind of the epitome. That's kind of the best, maybe. 
but that's not necessarily the case. No. Like the best is doing what you're built for. Absolutely. And this was the huge takeaway from Alan Dixon the other day. The best is just doing what you're built for. And so for the integrators, just if that's you, just realizing, no, it's okay. It's okay if you're not a visionary. It's mm-hmm. it, That is very okay. Uh, because guess what? Every organization needs you. You know what That's I right. mean? Right. Um, matter of fact, well, there's, there's often there's more demand for the integrators than the visionaries because you generally only need a visionary in an right. organization. Right. Sometimes you need a lot more than one uh, kind of integrator. But, but, but then also on the flip side with the visionary, and this was, this was a lesson that I wish I had learned better 15 years ago, is um, the absolute necessity for and value of integrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and because if you get around kind of certain cultures and businesses or certain types of people, unfortunately, sometimes will overlook the value of a mm-hmm. really strong, really capable uh, integrator. Um, and, and, and because, you know, look, sales, it, you need sales for sure. But if the train gets off the tracks, right, doesn't matter. That does, it doesn't matter. You yep. cannot sell yours. We had a you cannot r- sell your, your right down the street from our factory in Cleveland. There's a uh, major interchange. Um, and one day this, this, this uh, coal train came through there. Um, and you know, the coal trains run quite long in Texas and this thing was blowing right through town. It's goes under the overpass and I don't know how fast it was going. It had been going 60 or 70 at least from what I saw. I wasn't there when it happened. But it somehow got off the tracks right in town and it piled up, right? And there was probably 10 or 15 carloads of coal that just stacked up on top of each other. And so there were all the cells, right? Right. But the train got off the track because the integrator wasn't there, wasn't doing his job or didn't have the right person. And guess what? All that coal is just turned now into a liability. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very interesting concept you bring up. Great point. How about, what are some of the things you think through when in uh, arriving at the decision that someone needs to be moved on versus they just need some more help? How would you think through that? So I think it's always, you know, turnover, costs a you know a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> words I don't want to use here on your podcast right. <laughs> I mean turnover is very 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 expensive yep super expensive and so anytime you can invest in a person um, either to move them you know so we think we use EOS's terminology which really comes from Jim Collins and Pat Lancioni um, of right people right seat so Jim Collins talks about right seats right? Different seats on the bus. Mm-hmm. Pat Lencioni talks about the, the ideal team player, which is the right person. And so we use sort of a trifecta of, of things. One is, one is uh, we use a, a program called Culture Index. So it uh, has a 92% validity rating scientifically on your natural sort of um, personality style. Right? Mm. Is your A trait, B trait, C trait, D trait? So culture uh, index. Culture index. Would that you may have heard of disc. Similar right? to disc. So things started, it all started with disc back in the 50s or whenever that was. Disc, though, unfortunately, is under the threshold to be able to use legally for hiring and firing decisions per Department of Labor. You got to be, I think, at 70% validity rating um, scientifically. So uh, there's a lot of different or- a lot of different organizations out there. So Zig actually introduced me to DISC as well. And we used that. It was a nice tool to use in sales. So just for salespeople to quickly, okay, is this guy high A, high low B? You know, in DISC, they call it D-I-S-C. Is he, mm-hmm. is he dominant or not? Is he um, influential or data-driven? Is he sociable or introvert? Is he conscious? You know, so there's mm-hmm. D-I-S-C. D- um, A-B-C-D is really... Are you are you risk taker or risk averse? Right? Hmm. Do you like to lead and manage through people 
or through data? Do you like to, um, are you, are you a, a single task focused, patient, process driven, or are you very multitask focused, impatient? Um, and then the D are the, uh, yeah, in ABCD, the D is, are you high attention to detail, low attention to detail? Right. Mm. So um, we use that as about 33% of our equation for looking at people. Um, the, the second thing that we look at is our core values. Right. Mm. So I mean, if you don't fit our core values, and that's sort of a, you know, any, almost any one of these things can X a person, but we look at all three of these things to get the, sure. to the absolute best hire or, or best promotion. These three things have to be true. So if it doesn't meet our core values, you know, we're not going to have a, a long-term future, right? You could be a, a heck of a salesperson. I mean, outsell everybody in the country, but if you don't meet our core values, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the third piece of it is really the right seat, um, which is we use GWC. So, do they get what it takes? We, we design a seat on our accountability chart and. Um, you know, I have three to five roles in my seat. My integrator, Chris, has three to five roles in his seat. My head of ops, head of finance, um, sales person, or a, uh, you know somebody who works in the factory uh, on you know, on the on station one on the shed line, right? I mean, that's there's there's a few things they're responsible for. All right. of all of what we do, all of everything I do as CEO comes down to three or four things. Yes, right. You have to bring it down to what's truly important. Mm-hmm. And so in that, then we judge. Myself, you know, or my integrator, or a new hire, or somebody that's struggling, um, and so we do this quarterly, actually, mm. across the board from A to Z. We do this quarterly, and every once a year, every employee actually rates their supervisor. My my integrators, my pre- market presidents, rate me. Mm-hmm. Often than once a year, I do it with me, but for the rest of the company, it's once a year, and then every quarter, the supervisor meets with their direct reports and they go through this quarterly conversation basically. Mm-hmm. It's just a casual mm-hmm. conversation, not an HR event. Yep. And 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 we're looking for right person, right seat. Mm-hmm. Right. So do you meet the core values? You're already on the bus. So the culture index sort of at that point, we look to it as interesting, but you're already on the bus. We're going to try to put you in the right seat. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, so if you're right person, that means you meet the core values. If you meet the core values, you know what? You're our kind of guy or gal. Mm-hmm. You should be on this bus. It's great. But then we got to find the right seat for you. So mm-hmm. I've had folks in the past who are right people, core values, great fit. Absolutely do not have a right seat for them, right? And being a right seat is GWC. Do they get what it takes, all the ins mm-hmm. and outs of the seat? Do they want it? Do they really, truly every day wake up? You talked about your friend uh, who realized what he wants is just to sell. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to run a business. He don't want to worry about payroll and all these other things. Yep. He found his superpower. Does he truly want it? It's not... I want it because I don't know what else I'm going to do right now. Mm-hmm. It's not, I want it because otherwise I'm going to get fired and not have a position in this company. And I really like it. It's truly sort of viscerally. They want it. Mm-hmm. And then the capacity capacity mm-hmm. is, uh, so if, if it's a, if it's a gets it or wanted issue, they're in the wrong seat. We try to find another seat. If we don't have another seat, then unfortunately you know, they need a, and I even hate to say, unfortunately, fortunately, right. yep. they need to get off our bus yep. because it's fortunate for us that we've discovered it. It's fortunate for them that we've discovered it. Yep. You know, we've had situations of separation in the past and it's, it's brutal on me to have to go through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Brutal on that individual because we're looking at the small picture, not the big picture. Mm-hmm. And a year down the road, I meet this person and say, thank God. And I'm not trying to be yep. Pollyanna and say every, yep. you know, it happens all the time, but it, but it has happened. And they go, thank God that that happened because now today, this is where I'm at. And it's so much better than anything. I would have never 
taken, done it myself, mm-hmm. but because of the external pressure of the separation, yes. I went on to do it. So the capacity is the only thing that really, if, if you're in that, if you're a right person, core values match, and just say you're in a sales seat and you get it and you want it, but maybe you don't have the product training or the, or the process training or the brand voice training, you know, the things that we can, you can really learn the capacity things, then we're going to invest time with you. Yeah. If it's, if it's G or W or core values, you know, we, we give you basically a 90 day window to improve. Mm-hmm. We meet with you weekly and then, and then it's, it's over with. Cause look, the sooner, the sooner you and I both figure out if you're the right person or not for the company, the sooner you're going to get to what is right for you. Absolutely. I Whether here or somewhere else. agree. hundred percent agree. So sorry for the long answer to no, your no, question. No, no, but. I think that's really great. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and, uh, I think the, I don't know how you've had success or not with, if someone's not a good fit with core values, if you've had success with helping them to become a good fit, I don't want to be pessimistic, but most of the no. time, if they're not a good fit, you can't you can't train but it, core you values, can't teach it, you can't change again, it. Again, there's eight billion people and there's 175 seats in my organization. You know, we're not the right fit for everybody, right? Yep. And and my core values aren't right for everybody. There's nothing, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I think some of them are probably timeless, and every organization should have. But the reality is. Not every organization needs to be a grow or die core value organization, right? right? Or a, a, you know, never give up. I mean, sometimes yeah. you have organizations that is the opposite of that, and it's the yeah. right thing. It's what they're trying to do. Yes. So it's it's. Uh, I, I think I think someone who doesn't meet those core values. Don't try to change other people. I you, agree. Know, you know what I finally I learned? This is this is the way I say it, sort of comically, but I think it's true for me, anyways. If Jesus can't change someone against their will, who the heck do I think I am? Sure. <laughs> right? I mean, really, it's, it's, yeah. it's pointless. Yep. No, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, for... And we're not for, communists either. We're not trying to change people against their will. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, to- I totally agree with that. Now, how have you found, not even just with your business, but this is just kind of a, a, uh, an observation. It seems to me... Most people, certainly most, n- nearly all, but but most put um, they don't have that objective outlook when they get laid off or moved on about like okay, well th- this this is not a good fit for me, so they're moving me on. That's going to be good for that company. It's going to be good for me. It's 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 a it's not a knock on who I am as a person. I don't have to take this too personally. Um, so, and when they hired me, they didn't commit to hire me for the rest of my life. Matter of fact, they didn't even commit to hire me for the next five years. Mm-hmm. It was a job at will. I took this job at will. They, they mm-hmm. gave me employment. They paid me. This is going to work as long as it's mutually beneficial. And if, and when it's never, it's not mutually beneficial anymore, we're going to part ways. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have that objectivity. Most people it's crushing and it's, it's difficult and they don't see it. And then it's only months later or sometimes a while later when they see like, okay, well that was actually, I get it now. You know what I mean? What is it in the, I don't, is this an American culture thing? Is this a first world problem? What is it that there often is a lack of objectivity on the behalf of the team members? I think part of that's generationally and and I don't want to misquote the wrong person, but he talks about the, all the different generations and the greatest generation, Gen X and Y and you know, millennials and baby boomers. And it's one of the speakers we just talked about. Um, 
I think it's Simon Sinek, I believe, that talks about it. I think it, it is, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, back in the day, I mean, back in your grandfather and my grandfather's time, you had a job for 30 years. Mm-hmm. You went to General Motors and you retired from General Motors, right? You were a farmer and when dad, when grandpa died, then you took dad's place and dad died, you took his place. And it was just this generational, I mean, man, we farmed for hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. Con- consecutively. Um so I think I think that's changing. Uh, in fact, now in some positions that we hire, if someone's had a job for thirty years, I don't think they're going to be a great fit mm-hmm. because there's something that you know if you're in the same position for thirty years, um, and I need you to be a thought leader, you're probably not going to be a thought leader. Now, if I need a if I need a, a strong sales professional, if you've been in sales your whole life, mm-hmm. that's probably a great thing. Mm-hmm. But if but if you need, if you need to be creative or um, an idea generator or a research and development, you know, being too stale for too long. And again, it's sort of like anything we talk about being pes- being um, patient and impatient. There's a time when being impatient is good and a seat that being impatient mm-hmm. is good. Visionary seat, being impatient is very good, right? Trying to reconcile your bank accounts, your general ledger accountant. You need to be patient. Right. Yes. You need to be single task focused. Yeah. You know, if, if if I tried to do that, uh, we'd be bankrupt because we'd have yeah. we wouldn't have financials, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just just the way it is. So yeah. all of these things, it's not good or bad. And that's back to the concept earlier of your 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 superpower, your mm-hmm. why. Find what that is. Visionary integrator. One's not better than the other. Mm-hmm. If you'll just find what you're great at, what you love doing, you'll never work another day in your life. Yeah. And you know, we say that, but but really. Yes. You'll never work another day in your life. I started becoming miserable when I was managing and making sure the trains run on time. I wasn't enjoying what I'm doing. I'm back to loving what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I've seen that where, whether, whether me or a team member's had to step out or step up or step sideways or step down in another position, we're happiest when we're doing what we're really meant to do. Yes. So what 100%. good does it do? Yep. What good does it do to become... You know, um, a sales manager versus a salesperson. Okay, you're going to make more money, but not for long because soon you're going to be fired because you're doing a bad job. Exactly. What good does it do to become a president if you're a head of operations because you're actually really good at running a department, but not multiple departments? Mm -hmm. What What good does it do if you want to be the CEO when you don't really get jacked up by vision, Mm -hmm. right? And what you really get jacked up on is just really running efficiently, mm-hmm. right? Really leaning out on organization and making sure it's solid foundation going for growth into the future. So it's ultimately, I think if you play the long game and look at the long game, it looks, it, it becomes much more obvious that you should just do what you're good at. 100%. That doesn't mean you don't invest in yourself, yep. right? And that we should invest in our team members and help them to grow, but don't think that there's somehow, if, if you don't give a promotion to this employee every five years, they go in a different role. You ruin people by doing that. Yes. Some people, it's the right thing. Some people, it's not based on what they're good at. Yep. So. Yep. For sure. Well, I think it was just Alan again. He was selling pest control and he was leading his sales office all four years he was there in sales. He applied for a promotion, got turned down because someone else was just a better fit. And that's what got him into real estate. And mm-hmm. now he's waking, mm-hmm. making much more, yep. you know, selling yep. real estate than selling pest control. Yep. So his, uh, but, his denial of that promotion at, at the time was not good news for him. It's not what he wanted. In the grand scheme of things, it's exactly what should have happened. You know, you have one of the best stories that I know personally, I think, right here in your backyard with Ramsey. Mm-hmm. You 
know, I mean, if 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 you went to his uh, course, I forget what mastermind or I forget what they call it, um, and he he goes over to the office where he went bankrupt and and talks about that. And does he really? Yeah, yeah. Is it entree leadership? The mat the. Is entree it leadership. Through entree leadership yeah. or no? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the master, it's what the do old, they call it? It's, again, it's the old one. It's the one he used to do. I think it's okay. entree leadership master series. Master entree leadership master series. They go to the office where he went bankrupt. They go to the office where he went bankrupt and it was freaking cold. So they had to get his hand warmers to stay warm. And, really? But, but the, if you look at what happened there, and it's always easier to see in others than in my own story yep. or your, you know, our own story. But if, if he had not went bankrupt, he would not be where he is today and have the so impact, true. right? It's so true. So it's, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO and you go bankrupt or yep. if you're um, a, a secretary or a receptionist mm-hmm. or a factory worker or a sales manager, or a VP or a president mm-hmm. or a CEO, a board chairman. Don't fight life. Right. Right? Yes. Don't fight life. Life often, if we're open, life points us in the right direction. Yes. But you got to, but you got you know. How do you how do you surf? I'm not a great surfer. I yeah. went one time and not very good at it. I had a sore neck for like two weeks. But um, <laughs> you you go with the flow, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that's 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 one concept. And the other concept, it's like the airplane. You always want to land into the wind because it yes. takes less energy. But that's also just learning about life and going with the flow. Really, yes. even though you're going against the flow, the airflow. Um, it's, it, it means you, you need less runway to land, less runway to take off, takes less power to take off, right? Yes. So just we're back to talking about principles again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, laws of you nature. Can't, you but, can't get away from them. No. Well, I don't think I properly learned the laws of nature when I tried surfing. I tried it one time. It was in Hawaii. I did not have instruction, which no. was mistake number one. And mistake number two was I was not wearing a full body wetsuit. Ah. So I rented a board, started to paddle out. And um, I'm a pretty decent snowboarder and snow skier and, you know, have some decent balance with those types of things. Uh, never got hardcore into skateboarding, but could a little bit, you know. So I figured, it, you know, I'm going to be able to pick this up. It can't be that hard. And, um, you know, there was sand that was, was rubbing me like you're paddling out and uh, it starts to hurt because the sand starts to kind of yeah. grate on you. And I could not figure out, I, I felt like I was not going anywhere. I was trying to get out to where you needed to be to surf. And it was so hard, man. The waves would come along and you're just paddling and paddling and paddling. What really got me though, dude, was um, there was two girls that jumped on their surfboard when I was about halfway out to where we needed to be. And dude, they just, I don't know Cold what they were doing different. There. They were just <laughs> buzzing. They passed me and they got out there like double the time that I was. And from looking at it, they were doing the exact same thing. But it was so effortless. But it was so effortless. Yeah. So they were doing something that I couldn't pick up on. And um, that uh, I almost just quit then. But I got out there and tried it. And um, it wasn't great, man. It really wasn't great. I yeah. think I, I think I need instruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I even it's got so instruction gr- and I wasn't great at really? it. Really? So. It's so graceful. I think I got it one time. So um, How about, uh, I'm, I'm even curious... If you have, in hindsight for you, like if you have made a mistake where in the time was like, oh crap, but then um, time kind of proves that that was actually a good thing. Anything like that? Mistakes you've made that actually have turned out to be positive then in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be very hard to sit here and be able to think and talk about all the mistakes. A lot of them have been bad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a lot of them have been bad. So, but think, think about a mistake that turned out for the good. Um, I can think about a sales manager that I hired um, when we were going from basically I was 
you know, CEO and president leading the senior leadership team. Um, so I was, inter- you know, integrating all these different departments, trying mm-hmm. to integrate the vision into the company, mm-hmm. but then I'll also integrate sales and operations and marketing and et cetera. And it worked for a while. You know, we scaled from, I don't remember, it was probably 8 million to 15 or 18 million during that time frame. Um, but then it got to where I couldn't keep it all together anymore. And, and going through, there was some hires that I made that were mistakes for sure, looking back in hindsight, but it opened my eyes. It made me, you know, sort of, I beat my head up against the wall. Mm-hmm. I got some pretty bad bruises, lost a lot of money, and it made me really stop and get serious about understanding what needs to happen before yeah. we go into the next phase. Yep. And uh, I think I think also, um, that's, that's, you know, the, I talked about the sales one, but that same time period is what also made me realize I need a president. Mm-hmm. So if I had made some really good hires on the senior leadership team, I would probably not be where we're at today because I would have I would have said things are going pretty well, and I right. would have I would have had the same issues then, but at a you know larger scale yep. instead of where we did. So yep. yeah, um, so I think that's a great example of where man, it was brutal. It yep. was you know it was. You know, head of ops and head of um, sales, both mm-hmm. um, two different people. But it's what made me realize. I mean, I finally just said I, I I'm, I'm not cut out to hire managers, department managers. Mm-hmm. You know, head, heads of departments. Um, I'm not cut out to manage them because um, they come in and they get jacked up on my on my vision that I talk about, right? And then they repeat the stuff back to me. And I think it sounds great. Well, yeah. they're just come on. Right, that's so obvious. <laughs> yeah. But yet, I probably went through two leadership teams because of that very issue. Yeah, and yeah. Um, therefore, I, I actually hired a, uh, a recruiting firm to hire the president for me. Um, oh wow! Before that very reason, mm-hmm. so we were we were deep into the process, and I was mm-hmm. looking at, at my, my B is slightly low. So mm-hmm. you know, I'll learn to like you, but I first want to look at the data of it. Mm. But then, when you repeat the good data back to me, I like you. Right, yes. as I just talked about. So we, I actually didn't get involved in the interview process until they had been vetted out for core values, vetted out for GWC fit. You know, do they get one and have the capacity? Looking at just their resume, and and it really, is, I think, what allowed me to make a phenomenal hire. Mm. Um, and what's proven to be a phenomenal hire in that seat because I didn't interact with them until way later in the yeah. process. In yeah. fact, and then I had my senior leadership team, some of who at the time I knew would not be with me mm-hmm. in six months, but. I actually got their input because they they still knew you know our core values and they were able to mm-hmm. to, to interview for those types of things. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, in, interesting, interesting how um, thinking about that. I think that's some of the best things that happened. And either yeah. even though it cost me probably a couple of million bucks, right? It's what set us up for where we are today. Yeah, yeah, that's really key. And and when you get to a certain point, I think using some recruiting firms or you getting outside help or counsel on key hires is so important. Yeah. Yep. so important. Um, because, uh, you know, there's a lot to lose and I tend to get kind of easily caught up. Like, am I vibing with this person? Do I get it? Is there good resonance here? And you I mean, you can make the wrong decision way, way, right. way too quickly. Right. Absolutely. Um, how about for you personally, do you, where are you personally getting your, um, maybe counsel or encouragement or, you know, often being CEO mm-hmm. is lonely mm-hmm. and you can't share everything with your core team. Sure, sure. You need outside input. Uh, huge, do you, huge, do you huge get thing that, that I struggle with. That? Huge thing that I struggle with. And you know, when I when I bought my brother out, um, I sort of lost the ability for a few year period to be even be able to share with him mm. because 
our, our relationship changed and we were both trying to find out today. Great. You know, we, we, we did a, um, a trip to South Africa in July together. Um, I, you know, I think he would tell you the same thing. I think we're mm-hmm. closer and better friends and have more mutual respect for each other than we've ever had. Yep. Uh, we still love tussling, you yeah. know, we still love, and we don't, we never grew up tussling physically so much, but we yeah. love, we love a good argument. We love, yeah. yeah, sometimes I'll just drop a, a bomb right in the middle of a conversation. Cause I just love seeing <laughs> him get, get riled up. And, and I know he enjoys doing the same with me. So, um, but, uh, so I was, I looked early on, I was 25 or six, probably. So seven years ago, I really started for looking for an organization that I can join with CEO form of some sort. Um, you know, I didn't grow up, I didn't go to business school. So I didn't, I didn't have the, the, the dorm buddies or the, you know, your, your entrepreneurship class or business class that a lot of folks have where they're building out. You need to go to Harvard or to any major business school, TCU in Fort Worth, and, and you end up with a sort of group of classmates that you really walk a lot of the rest of that's life right. with. I didn't have that. I, well, didn't have, I didn't have high school, right? Well, and that's what's, just to interject just real quick, I think that is one of the big benefits of college, to be yeah. honest with you. It's, 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 and, 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 and school too, high school, maybe more, but, but at a lesser degree, it's, it is learning, it's learning the things. Okay. That's part of it, but it's learning how to learn right. and it's developing that network. Unfortunately, I, you know, I would say I have limited exposure, but we have just since we entered um, Culture Index, we've been using them for about two years now. I have 7,000 applicants in the system. Um, and I've interviewed, you know, a few hundred folks myself, looked at thousands of resumes. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, while that is a very true point, it's like anything else in life. You've got to go in. Too many with right. a mission. Too many yeah. people come out and they have their drinking buddies, mm-hmm. right? Or they have the, the buddies that are long. Great for like until you turn 25 and have kids and have yes. responsibilities and all of a sudden. But I also know for every, you know, five stories like that, I know one or two who are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, they do business together. They network together. They, yes. You know, they've truly come out of that, not just with a social aspect, but also yes. a true network. So so I looked I looked at a number of different organizations. And personally, I ended up um, being invited to, it was funny, I was actually at a Dave Ramsey event. In first one in um, uh, Carlsbad, California. Mm, beautiful. And it was, uh, man, I remember what I think one evening um, this, this other gentleman and I started talking, and he ended up being from Texas. And now him and I are great friends, Josh Hopkins. And uh, we're, we're having cigars with Dave Ramsey and a couple of other folks and, and having a great evening. And he introduced me, he said he's from Texas, he's from Midland, I'm from Fort Worth. We started talking. I started telling him what I'm interested about because why was I at the Entre Leadership event? It was the first event I went to, so I was there by myself uh, without team members. And um, I was looking for that network and for that... Um, for that CEO group, mm-hmm. um, leadership group that I've become part of to really share and bounce ideas off of each other. And so he told me about YPO. He was a YPO member, told me about YPO. Um, we, we became friends. He gave me an invite, um, interviewed and, and became a member of YPO. And so I personally have, have um, it, it just expanded on that idea. So back to, you know, probably most of, of reading I get more now out of my YPO network than I probably do out of books by far and large. Um, 
So I'm actually part of two forums now. I just started an international forum around retail. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've got a member from from Scotland. We've got a member from uh, Buenos Aires, or not Buenos Aires, from uh, Brazil. Um, we have a member, you know, from New York. Myself. We got LA. We have Florida. Um, so there's 12 members of us from around the world, and it's CEOs. Some are providers to retail, some are retailers, some are manufacturers to retail, some are marketing to retail, but it's all around retail. So, mm-hmm. so you know, we're in, we're all YPO members mm-hmm. uh, from around the world. We're, but then we're all retail focused and here to make each other better. And it's very, YPO is a very unique organization. It's the, it's the oldest in its kind and, and I think the highest quality. Mm-hmm. Um, just from an aspect, you know, I wasn't looking for a church. I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for a bunch of drinking buddies. I wasn't looking mm-hmm. for the things I was looking for. They met. So I'm not saying it's the best for yep. everyone, but it's yep. the best for me and the value I've gotten out of that. And my forum forum five in the Fort Worth chapter of YPO, um, those guys literally you call any, any of them, they can tell you and they won't because it's forum policy, uh, YPO policy, nothing, no one, never. We absolutely do mm-hmm. not share, um, anything about each other, but, um, the network, you know, when I need my ass kicked, they do it mm-hmm. right now with respect w- within our core values as a, as a, as a uh, organization and as a forum, but that group of guys is absolutely, um, changed my life and walked through with me in some of the darkest things the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I just lost my father. I mean, so I, I, at a time when my wife and I ended up, you know, I had to close down my father's church where he was pastor. Um, we were looking for something a bit different than than that church, and so the process of of finding and joining another church, uh, Doxology Bible Church in Fort Worth, and and you know looking at at during the time I did at my first uh, acquisitions, mm. um, uh, things that I went through, you know, the, the failures and blessings, the failures and and wins in life. They've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always a phone call away. I mean, I was talking to one, reached out to me for something at 11 o'clock the other night, right? We're there for each mm-hmm. other. We're really tight. And I'll tell you, those guys know everything about me, mm-hmm. you know, except for the things I don't know about myself and they can't see, <laughs> you know, that's yep. blind spots that we don't rub shoulders enough for them to be able to see. So that's been absolutely a big thing. Um, and, and it's great because it's a very vulnerable, very real, very uh, with in, with integrity and just honesty, mm-hmm. and so when they're struggling with something, it's shared experience. I'm not there to tell them what to do. They're not there to hear them tell me what to do. We we share shared experiences, yep. and the things I've been able to learn is I share what my problems are, and we think through these things, and they ask clarifying questions, and they give shared experiences, or vice versa. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, not only just a wonderful thing, life changing. Yeah, interesting. So, what do you think are the key components to that, or again, the principles that makes that work? If someone's listening, like, man, that'd be great, but maybe they're not a president or a CEO, and so they can't join YPO, or maybe they can't afford it. What what is it about that that works? I'm thinking of I think it's Mark Cuban that says uh, be careful about taking advice from someone who doesn't have a vested interest in the outcome. Right, right. And and I agree with that. Although sometimes it's actually good to take advice from someone who doesn't have a vested interest in the outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, it, what seems to me is this is people of similar responsibility. Mm-hmm. It seems like these are capable people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like they're going to be they're going to be wise now. 
they both do and don't have a vested interest in the uh, device or the counselor they're giving you. They do because you're close friends and you're part of this forum, you're part and, of this And group. there's really not that much counsel given, actually. Like okay. I said, it's more shared experience because mm. we're truly all interconnected, right? And we all yeah. have our unique journey. We're all, you know, my name's Jonathan, your name's Kent. We're not the same person. But yet at the end of the day, you have kids and you're raising them. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the, 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 I'm sure you're a wonderful son uh, sitting with us here Great and you're work, work, look, working with that on a Saturday, just like you and I did. Isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it funny? <laughs> I, w- I didn't know what a MacBook was though. <laughs> I didn't have headphones. Exactly. Right. <laughs> That's because there uh, probably wasn't one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, the, you know, we've all, we've all walked this journey, whether mm-hmm. it's marriage or business or whatever. So I think what you got to do is, you know, and one of the, the number one reason I knew I wanted a forum of sorts. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't even know what to call it back then when I started looking, but I knew I wanted the forum, but I also knew that I wanted to be the small fish in the big pond. Okay. So one of our core values, I told you as an organization is, is grow or die. Mm-hmm. And I fundamentally believe, I think it's a law of nature. You cannot grow if everyone around you, um, you, you, you have to at some point be plugged into people that are ahead of you in the journey, yes. right? Yeah. So, you know, if I go hang out with people who have um, a two-month-old right now that's crying every night, mm-hmm. daggum, I, I sound like a, a pro. We've had four kids, right? Right. But then I go talk to someone who has a nine-year-old, one-year-old, or, you know, yeah. like yourself, you've already seen a whole year of life and changes mm-hmm. that I haven't seen, mm-hmm. right? Or then those people who have grandkids, Exactly. Right? Or kids that are just going to college or kids that are just being married. So the number one reason that made me join YPO versus C12 and some of the other organizations was because the average company size, I was looking for business and it's ended up being so much more than that, was so significantly larger than what I was, right? I was like on the bottom edge, hardly got approved kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what principle is that? For me, that's a principle of always reaching up mm-hmm. if you want to grow. Mm-hmm. Right, as an individual, um, so it's great to have friends you just hang out with, right? But if that's all you have, if you don't sure. have people who stretch and invest, so I mean, frankly, as we do that, we're all, you know, probably in ahead of each other in some way. I'm definitely behind them in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you know, whether it's marriage or kids mm-hmm. or business or faith or whatever that is. So I think the, the fundamental thing that makes it work is we have a commitment to each other, Yeah. right? We have a code of conduct, code of ethics. And then I'll tell you, I really think the core thing is, and, and I think YPO realizes this internationally, there's 28,000 members, hmm. 20 million employees employed by YPO companies, $6 trillion of, of, of gross revenue, right? Wow. So it's the third largest economy in the world. Wow. Really. Um, but what makes it work? Uh, there's a white POR I text this morning. He's here in, uh, in uh, Nashville. Um, Souls, runs Souls for Souls. I don't mm. know if you may or may not be familiar mm. with the organization, but yeah, it's a yeah, phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal organization. Yeah. But he's just a phenomenal guy. Mm-hmm. Um, th- what makes it unique, I think, at the very, very core is trust. Yeah. Mm. So we have this core thing that we call nothing, no, and never. Think about in your life, of one person who's nothing, no one, never. You can tell them anything. Now, mm-hmm. now, if I tell you I killed somebody yesterday sure. and you're my forum mate, they're calling the cops, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's a boundary to it. This yep. is not a cult or some kind of yep. you know, secret brotherhood. Um, but I think that's what makes it work. That's the yeah. core of what makes it work because until I know, and so every meeting we start off, our, every forum meeting, we start off our check-in with 
nothing, no one, never. Mm. We review our core values and we ask ourselves, whoever's moderating, we ask ourselves, was there a possible breach? Did we get close to it? Right. And it could just be that I shared that, um, I really, you know, my, my struggle with heartburn, I figured out is coming from eating 20 minutes before I go to bed and I've changed that. Mm-hmm. You know what? That, why, why do you need to share that with anybody? Yep. Right. Or it could be something much, much more serious. Yes. Most of my stuff's much, much more serious. Yep. <laughs> um, so whatever that is though, it does not matter. It's nothing, no one, never. So think about it, church. Your pastor has a vested interest. Now, if he's a really, really, really good pastor, his vested interest is to point you to Christ. Mm -hmm. But a lot of pastors, that's not the vested interest. Mm -hmm. They want to either, they're looking for donations, ultimately, they're looking for attendance, they're looking for support for their particular, you know, flavor of Christianity. Uh, They're looking for so many other things. If If you think about your... Um, your friends, right? Your average friend, they're there until the relationship costs them something. Sure. Right? Um, If you think about just about anything else in life, just about any other relationship, and I challenge you to think of one person that you know that is truly nothing, no one, never, unless it goes to the point of illegal. Illegal activity. And do you, you, did you say you start every form with that? Or with no? that, yeah, absolutely. You do? Absolutely. But what does that look like? You, someone reads a statement or someone just says, hey, remember, this is nothing, no one ever? Yeah, so, so we're, all, we're always doing nothing, no one, never. I mean, that's just sort of like, man, we, we talk about that all the time. Oh, okay. Um, because it truly is the core okay. fundamental principle so that makes like it work. it's not like a formal but statement. Do, but we absolutely do have a formal statement. We have core values. We have a mission of what we're, why are we here to help each other? Um, why are we joined here together today, et cetera. And, and so we read through that and, and we, you know, it's part also it's being present, right? Mm. It doesn't work. You and I both put our phones on do not disturb and it, and it, and it drives me nuts to sit in the meeting and everybody's on their phones. Yeah. Why are you in this meeting? Exactly. Go do something else, right? right. Yep. Um, and, and I don't care if you think I'm not important enough for you to have your phone turned off. Yep. I care that you came and said you're going to be present and you're not, right? Yes. And now I say that, it's something I struggle with myself if I'm sitting in on a meeting. And, and right now with Zoom, it's really, really, really hard yeah. because you can't see the other person texting because, you know, your eyes are looking at the video, yes. not at the video camera. So you're already not going eyeball to eyeball. Exactly. It's impossible. Yep. I want to design a screen that the, where the video of the other participants are. 100%. The camera is right on their right eyes. Right there, yes. Right? Yeah. So that you yeah. actually have that. So I, I don't think it's ever going to replace in-person meetings because of that. Yep. We use Zoom a lot. Yep. Um, obviously, in different markets, we have to use Zoom uh, on, a, on a daily and weekly basis, but it's nothing like being in person. So anyways, yep. um, that's, that's, I think, what makes it work. And, and then we do the, the near misses, we call it, on the nothing, no one, never. So, mm. you know, some of us are friends personally. Some of us aren't. Some of us, you know, um, work in the same community. Some of, you know, so it, it, there's opportunities to say, hey, did you know that, and I don't have a forum mate named Jim, but you know that Jim and his wife are expecting a baby? Yeah. Well, you start thinking about the repercussions. Jim and his wife were maybe going to have a, reveal party and you just destroyed that for him. Right. Exactly. Or maybe, or maybe, or maybe, um, Jim and his wife, um, always said, we're not going to have kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And sort of, and then all of a sudden they have a, you know, you never know what's going on and that's, you know, not the greatest example, but you can think, I think of, it's actually a great example. You can think yeah. of something that yep. seems so yep. innocent. Yep. 
And all the and, and just if you don't think it's a great example, which you said you do, but think about something you've heard through the grapevine about yourself, and you go, "Ouch, that hurts." Exactly. Or I wanted to tell that person. Why is my friend talking to him about it? Yes. So it's I think truly what does make it work. Nothing, no one, never. Yes, I love that. I love that. Um, and by the way, instead maybe instead of putting money into a video camera in the middle of the screen, just go holog- just go full on holograph yeah, right away. Yeah. You like to see the person <clears throat> yeah. standing there. One of the funniest videos I just think that I've seen on any TV show, and you can yeah, I think you can probably see it on YouTube, but it's in Silicon Valley. Um, where someone invents a, a holograph and it does not work out well. It's 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 pretty funny, but there is some language in the video. But um, but the nothing, no one, never. I think is really key. The the closest that uh, closest that um, I would have to something like that is being an elder at our church. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. what's called an executive session, mm-hmm. and about every elder meeting, we'll go into executive session for something or another. And um, everyone raises their right hand. You know, we're in executive session. Mm-hmm. And what gets talked about in executive session uh, does not get talked about outside of executive session with your wife, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. a friend, with anyone. Matter of fact, uh, out of the six or eight or however many elders are in this group, you don't even talk about it with another elder later. In other words, what gets talked about in executive session stays gets there. talked about right. there, stays there, and then we come out of executive session. You know, Vegas had this figured out before we out. did. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and there's, but, there's a, you know, often a bad side to that because sure. of where it is, but, but yeah. really the principle yes. holds true. So, yeah. and, and as, I'm, as you're talking, I'm just thinking more about your question, what makes it work? I think it's iron sharpens iron, mm-hmm. which is, which is uh, one of our principles. Iron sharpens iron. So you can't be in that executive session with wood mm-hmm. or um, clay. clay. Yep. Yep. You know, if you're clay, be with the best clay you can. If you're yeah. wood, be with the best wood. But whatever yeah. it is, be that best. Um, yeah. So iron sharpens iron, that principle. Nothing, no one ever says so the confidentiality mm-hmm. and just knowing that we're truly here for no reason except to help each one of us become the best versions of ourselves mm-hmm. that we have decided we want to become. Yes. Right? Yes. Because that's the best pastor, the best business leader, the best father, the best... I mean, all of us are there for slightly different reasons, mm-hmm. although we're all CEOs. Mm-hmm. And then I think the third thing is, is just, you know, so you have the foundation of trust. You have um, iron sharpens iron, and they were literally not there to do anything together. Mm. So even in your executive session as a pastors, you're running the church, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're there with a common mission. And if, if tomorrow you move to Hawaii, you're not there anymore, are you? Mm-hmm. Right? If tomorrow you um, got diagnosed with cancer, they're, they're going to be there for you, mm-hmm. right? But you're not going to be part of that group anymore. Yep. Yep. And, and that's what makes this unique is it, it, it surpasses all of that. Yes. Right? Yep. We're literally there. We're not... In fact, in fact... Uh, one of our rules are we cannot do business together. I was just going to ask that. We cannot do business together. Okay, so together. you can't strike a business deal with no. someone that you get to know. And no. buy. Interesting. Now, we've, I've, had, I've had forum mates you know, buy a product from me and I'll buy a product sure. from them. Yep. Um, but it's got to be a, a one-time basic little thing. It's not a big deal. If, if I was going to buy a business from them, yep. can't do it. Because I that's see. a big purchase and it's yeah. potentially going to lead to yeah. us not truly looking out for the best of each other in forum. Yeah, it seems like they've structured that really well. Um, how about, this is changing subjects a little bit, but I'm curious with, 
I don't think it's any secret you've used acquisitions as a growth strategy. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. or maybe not that's part of the strategy going forward. How would you think through for someone listening or how have you thought through the difference between growing by acquisition and growing more organically by expanding locations? So so growing growing organically and through acquisitions, absolutely. Still part of our strategy and and we're more committed to really both of those. Um the the way I look at it is, you know, our real goal is to grow organically. However, instead of coming to, you know, I'll just give you an example, Harrisonburg, Virginia, and putting a factory in there when there's already three shed companies, there's already three great families that have, you know, Steve, uh, my market president mm-hmm. there and, and partner, he's got a story like you do. His, you know, his father founded that business 46 year, years ago, right? Oh. So he's got that same story that you and I do. And instead of going in, and I, I truly believe competition makes you better, yep. I'm not going to go buy every company in Harrisonburg, Virginia or in Virginia market, mm-hmm. but I'm going to find the one that I believe fits us, mm-hmm. right? They believe in, versus commodity, they believe in lifestyle structure, the, the core values line up, the, mm-hmm. the owner's core values line up. Their mission as an organization is somewhat aligned. Sometimes it's, you know, almost identical. Sometimes it's quite a bit different. Yeah. But the same trajectory. Yep. If that makes sense. Yep. Different places in the journey, but the same trajectory. So instead of going in and opening a factory and installing a branch there and competing with and making his life hard, let's partner. Mm-hmm. So the thing, and I sort of, that was, again, I'm a practical person. That was just mm-hmm. practically, I said, why go fight yeah. with these guys? Why not instead partner with them in such a way that makes everybody better? And then it became personal for me. And then it became something that I'm passionate about is restoring. And so Trump says, make America great again. Mm-hmm. I'm on make the shed industry great again. Yeah. Right. So instead of going in and competing with someone, actually, there's, there's a lot of companies that are struggling because they've grown past their leadership capability. Mm-hmm. They've grown past their cash flow. They've grown past their systems and processes or technology. And instead of going in and making their life even harder, if they have a similar enough vision, let's partner together mm-hmm. so that your vision can be achieved. Yeah. We join hands to go achieve the vision. And we, and we have one vision, one brand across the country, mm-hmm. right? So there's product changes that happen and there's culture changes, there's core values. We have one set of core values everywhere, one vision and mission everywhere, one, you know, one BHAG everywhere, but we plug that in basically. And so, you know, my BHAG is to serve a million families by um, 2028. So as we plug that organization in, they become part of that, yep. right? And they have a number. Yep. Um, so, it, it it gives a framework. What it allows what it allows these what becomes the market president. So one of my one of my uh, requirements has been as I'm you know I talked about the sort of fit side of things, culture, cultures, core value, etc. Mm-hmm. But the other aspect of it is is I've the the person I'm buying out because at the end of the day these are not you know firms that are owned by private equity firms right, right? they're they're individual families mostly yep. maybe a couple of families so the the current ownership or the current president has to continue to be able to serve as president. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for someone that is looking for a hundred percent exit. So yep. I leave them a piece of the pie, mm-hmm. right? Um, they serve as market president and, and we have a frank conversation. We talked about organizations changing. You may not be the right market president for this organization when we go 10 X mm-hmm. may not be, but you're an owner so you're going to want the best person that we can have as president. Right. Because it's in your best interest to both achieve your vision and frankly, you know, 
from a profit standpoint, from your yep. equity standpoint, from yep. your earnings standpoint, you want the best position. And so the, the good thing is I've been able, because I'm human as well, I've been able to uh, lead by example in that. And so they saw me hire a different president mm-hmm. for my own company right. because I'm not the right guy. Yep. Right. So I truly do believe in this stuff, right? It's yep. not just theory that's great for other people. It's, it's, I believe in it because I've seen it be true for me. Yes. Um, so that's why acquisitions um, instead of instead of just going out organically and doing the growth, um, you know, as you know in the industry, you can ship a shed three to four hours and mm-hmm. you're okay. I, I think really to offer five star raving fan service, you can't be shipping stuff 10, 20, 30 hours yeah, right across the country. Yep. It just doesn't make sense, not only from a cost standpoint, but also, uh, you know, I had a, a, a client where we unfortunately run it up his yard, mm-hmm. right? If if the branches. 12 hours away, it becomes either cost prohibitive to go make it right with them, yes. or you sort of end up like most companies do, unfortunately, just sort of snubbing them off. Yeah. And yeah. no, we're going to go make it right. Even if even if you signed off on it, we're going to go back. We're going to make sure you're a raving fan at the end of the day, because that's yeah. more important to us than making a profit on that one shed. Yes. Um, so, that, so that's why the strategy, it's it's become part of my passion now. A lot of these companies are are sort of in, in a bankrupt state. Mm-hmm. Um, their owners are burned out, right? They're good people, mm-hmm. but they just, they've sort of, you know, almost got cooked in the squat as Zig Ziglar mm-hmm. talked about. And so restoring their passion and drive and energy. And, and it's, it's, I can tell you my California market president, you know, the guy was burned out. Willard Martin, great guy burned. The guy is gung ho, man. I mean, he, he, oh, he wow. fires wonderful. me up even, you know, wow. um, and so what, what is that? He just has support now. He didn't have before he has resources or he has so com- one is camaraderie. So one is superpower. Mm. A, a, I think he's got, a group. So we have a market president's meeting every Tuesday afternoon okay. via Zoom. So we we can talk about issues and challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's a support group. He's He's got sort of his own YPO, but it's network or forum, but it's there for yes. particularly what we're doing business in. So, so by the way, forums that are there to do business together can be good as well. Right. Just don't think they transcend everything. Exactly. Because yeah. the moment your efforts aren't aligned or your interests aren't aligned, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so the unique thing about YPO Forum is it surpasses and transcends life circumstances. Yep. Um, and, and again, it does that because we can't do business with each other. Otherwise, it wouldn't mm-hmm. work. Um, so, so we have that. We also then have what we call same page meeting. It's a, it's a Mark Winters, Gina Wickman principle where we meet once a week, once every two weeks, depending on how much change and transition and growth we're going through in that particular market. Um, where myself and that, so myself is visionary, that person is that market president is integrator. We just stay on the same page. And it's mm-hmm. not, I don't show up with an agenda. They don't show up with agenda. Mm-hmm. It's a, what ideas, what disconnects, what concerns, where do you think we're, meh, we're not on the same page. We create yeah. the issues list, right? And we just put everything out there and yeah. we lean into it. They lean into me and I lean into them. We sort of go, man, you know, the other day when we were in that meeting, you made a comment that really just sort of, dang, it sort of got under my skin. We put it on the issues list. I see. And these are one-on-one meetings? These are one-on-one meetings. I see. Yep. So we do that every couple of weeks. And then we do, we do, we do annual planning. So I'll, I'll lead them and their leadership team through an annual planning session once a year and then a quarterly planning session once mm-hmm. a year, uh, mm-hmm. uh, four times a year. 
where we we go through really setting out the um, the goals for the year, both financially, you know, the profit uh, sales, the, you know, those numbers, as well as just how many people we think it's going to take. Now, how mm-hmm. do we plan around that? Um, and then the core objectives, or the or as EOS and we call it, the rocks, mm-hmm. right? The the big things that need to happen this quarter. So so we're doing a quarterly rock session, uh, planning session. Um, so I think. The, that makes it work because we have a system and a process mm-hmm. and, and they have someone to bounce ideas off of both each other as market presidents and then myself as CEO yep. and, and ultimately have one vision, one mission. We're not recreating this and second guessing ourselves all the time. Right. You, you, you've run a business, yep. you know what it's like. It's like, yep. are we doing the right thing? Right? Exactly. And every two minutes you want to, yep. or two days or two months or two years, you're questioning it. Yep. And sort of you have that sanity that sounding board to sort of go, okay, no, we're doing the right thing. We just need to yes. keep our heads down and keep going. The other thing that makes it work then too, I believe, is the, the, the market president myself in the beginning of the relationship sitting down and figuring out what is he or she really good at. Mm-hmm. And then we peel everything else away. You know, yep. most folks in this industry, they're either good at selling or good at manufacturing. Yes. Right? Most market presidents, most founders did not, they weren't great at payroll. Mm-hmm. They weren't great at reconciling. They weren't great at raising capital. They weren't great good at um, maybe organizational efficiency, um, unless it was in the department they sort of loved. So for me, it was sales, right? That's what I grew up in and that's what I liked. Um, for Steve, it was initially on the, on the uh, I'm sorry, for Willard, it was on the manufacturing side. That's what mm-hmm. he loves. And mm-hmm. for Steve, it was more on the marketing and, and organizational side. So basically, we peel away all the things that are sort of <laughs> distractions to doing business, right? right? Yep. HR, finance, accounting, raising capital, um, you know, all those types of things. We, we, we do all that back at home office mm-hmm. um, in Fort Worth and they're left to focus on those things that they truly enjoy and are great at. Yes. And so what gets left at the market level is manufacturing, install, and retail stores. Mm-hmm. And so the team gets... They have all of a sudden they have infused energy, infused capital, infused vision, right? Um, core values. I mean, all these systems and processes that they didn't have, all of a sudden they have. Yep. Um, and we don't just go drop it in one day, right? We talk right. through it. We we sort of co-create together a custom version of it if we need to. But then we ultimately they're left to focus. You know, and we also go through RPRS, every person in the company. So when we go into the acquisition, we look at every person, we, we create the org accountability chart on the bus and we say, now everyone's outside, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody, mm-hmm. including CEO, you're outside the building, you don't work for the company. Mm-hmm. And then we develop the accountability chart and we d- identify the roles and we start adding in people using the RPRS process, right? Mm-hmm. Are they the right person to meet the core values? Are they the right seat? And, and what you find, I was, <laughs> I did this one acquisition, um, and him and I just talked about it yesterday, actually, we were laughing about it, but I won't mention it because it doesn't matter. Yeah. I have some, you have some, we all have something like this. And, and I go to him and I say, you know, that's where I start. I go to the president. What people issues do you think you have? Mm-hmm. Uh, who should not be here? Right. And he can't really come up with anybody. Mm. And uh, so I went to the leadership team and can't really come up with anybody. So then I'll, I'll, I'll try to identify those core people that are not management, that are not leadership, yep. and I'll have one-on-ones with them. And they go, well, well, Bob, man, I mean, right. he's been watching YouTube in the corner for literally the last year. And no, <laughs> our people, Kent, as I'm sure you know, they know before we do Oh, 100%. when there's a, when there's a problem. Yep. And so I called the guy in and you know, I just had a frank conversation and I said, 
you can't be here, you know? Yes. So yeah. um, I gave him I gave him a, a small servant's package. I mean, come on, he doesn't deserve a great one. He's, right. he's been watching YouTube for the last years. Yep. Part of the reason this company's in a bad situation. Now, points to leadership because yep. of lack of tools and resources and all that. But but come on. Yeah. That's pretty blatant, right? Yes. And uh, and then we, you know, life happened. And literally the next morning, I find out the guy was expecting a baby. His wife was expecting a baby the next, like two days later. Mm. Right. So that's where you got to go back to being human business wise, yep. zero sense to this guy being at the company. He's gone. Yeah. So I just wrote him a check, mm-hmm. right? You're going to cost me money. You're costing me money being here because every other employee is seeing what is he doing here? He's watching right. YouTube that cost me thousands and hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars. So I wrote the guy a check, you yep. know, to be able for him to be able to get through the next month or so. Yeah. Um, so, so you got to balance these things, but always you always have to do what's for the greater good of the organization, mm-hmm. because the greater good of the organization is what's for the greater good of the people, yes. the clients, the uh, team members, etc. Yep, for sure. It's one of the one of the big takeaways, one of the big learnings that I had from uh, building sheds in the shop as a kid is. The way we had it set up, we had two lines and the guys on the lines were like, they were the top of the shop. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, if you were a trim guy, you weren't quite good enough to be on the line. If you were a door <laughs> and, and, and plate marking guy, you weren't quite good enough to be on the line. And not everyone wanted to be on the line. I wanted to be on the line. I mm-hmm, wanted to be mm-hmm. that fast moving, you know, strong body, uh, competitive, quick, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to do that. So that was kind of always my goal. And then when you get there, you realize okay, there's a very distinct difference in output between maybe you and someone else, or you can see it between other guys and then the other guy on the other line. Mm -hmm. You can so see it where this guy can literally perform about twice as fast as the guy over here. You'll have one guy on this line, and then you'll have two guys on this line. They're both getting, you know, this guy over here, maybe he's getting a buck or two an hour more, but Mm -hmm. not twice. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so you can see how... It's got a front row seat as, at a pretty young age to see how different people have different capacities. And there's very different outputs, and they should be compensated accordingly. Yeah, yeah. So we we so. use all. I mean, uh, uh, I forget who made the comment. If if I could, you know, pay the receptionist for smiles, uh, smiles on customers and other employees' faces, I'd pay her on commission too. Right. So right. we are our yeah. Our, sounds like a Ramsey quote. almost our entire <laughs> organization is performance-based compensation. Really? Our installers, our delivery drivers, factory workers, um, our, you know, I mean, down to our, you know, our bonus system and management. It's, yeah. it's all performance-based, right? Because yes. at the end of the day, if we're not, you know, we can serve families, but if we're not making a profit doing it, then yep. we're, we're not able to do any good in the world, yes. right? Because just building exactly. the product and that, that's great. But then taking, be able to use those profits to, to you know, buy a uh, missionary uh, in Sudan, a new, a new vehicle, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, save one of the things that we do is save, um, invest into our local um, uh, pregnancy centers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you can't put value on a life, mm-hmm. but it turns out, I think I figure what the number is now, like $7,000 investment or a $2,000 investment. Um, you truly can scale saving lives. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Now that baby's life is worth way more than 7,000 or a yeah. hundred thousand even, but, but cat good, good capital going in for good really can have a great difference. And you yes. got some phenomenal organizations here in your community that I had the pleasure of through YPO um, being introduced to and seeing them and mm-hmm. like to follow back up with them um, mm-hmm. at some point. Um, bringing women off the street, sex workers, et cetera. Yes. Uh, it's, yep. it's amazing the yep. work they're doing. Um, 
So that, that stuff takes resources. It does. You know, it does. It takes Absolutely. money and resources. Absolutely. And you can't so. you can't invest in your people that yes. are already there if you don't have resources either. So yes. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, hundred percent. I was well, I was I was going to look up the name of the uh, just to give a shout out to him if I can find it. But the, the the name of the organization that does that work, I'll get it to you afterwards. Well, is it End Slavery Tennessee? No. Okay. It's not, it, no, no, it's not. It's not that. Um, does it deal with sex trafficking? It's not sex trafficking so much. It's bringing women off the street and literally um, supporting them for a year mm, mm-hmm. um, as they truly get out of the system. Because they go to yeah. jail, they get out. You know, they got yes. a shower now. They're fresh. Right. And they get out and they go back to the same thing. Yep. Um, so you got to really get them off the street long enough. And so they have a factory over there. Mm. And, and these recovered women are now working in this factory and providing products and additional oh, funding to go yeah. to serve new people. Yeah. Thistle. Yeah. Thistle Farms. Thistle Farms. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Phenomenal. wow. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Great organization. Yep, yep. They've got a cafe, a coffee shop. They've yep. got other things. I wasn't aware I of could, the factory. I could, I could use a cup of coffee right now Absolutely. from, from uh, Thistle Farms. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. That's a great organization. Yep. They have a location in West Nashville close to our church. Uh, well, I don't want to keep you too long. It's a weekend. And, um, and my wife's birthday today. It, yeah. That's right. <laughs> happy birthday. What's her first name again? Raquel. 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 So happy birthday, Raquel. We've been married uh, ten years in July. So this coming July? Yeah, this coming July. Oh wow. Yeah. She's about to have the big uh one zero, huh? Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, I told her I think it was we were probably married six months or eighteen months and we'd watched a movie and it had a this resort in Bora Bora and I said, Our tenth anniversary we're gonna go to Bora nice. Bora. You know, but I thought it's it? never gonna never gonna come, right? Right. And uh <laughs> You know, here we are uh, in July going to Bora Bora, obviously permitting, depending yeah. on, on COVID, but uh, have, right. have the trip booked. Oh, and uh, so, so it's unbelievable that 10 years is here. Let already. me know how that is. I've always so. wanted to go to Bora Bora. I've heard it's crazy. It better be crazy good because nice. it's a long flight. You know, I love long flights. I don't have any problem with them. Yeah. I love going to Africa. It's unbelievable. Other places in the world. But it's an island, so there's not a lot to do compared mm-hmm. to somewhere like Africa, so we'll see. Right. I'm sure it'll be so. great. Well, congratulations on your wife's birthday and on your 10th anniversary. Anything that you'd want to leave with uh, listeners in closing? Have we covered it? Oh, we, you know, have we covered it? I think you find out, and, and you told me a little bit about your average um, demographic mm-hmm. or population that's listening to your podcast. Um so from what I understand on that, I think, you know, find out your superpower mm-hmm. as an individual. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're, if you're a janitor or a CEO or a pastor or a, uh, you know, work at the coffee shop at church or it doesn't matter, um, leading a family or you're a homemaker or whatever, find out truly what your unique superpower that God gave you is and, and, and then play into that, invest into that and become that. And I think the second thing is, is core values. Figure out what those core values are for you personally, right? And not things like just integrity. Okay, I mean, integrity, mm-hmm. that's sort of table stakes, right? Can't mm-hmm. got to have that to play. But what are those things that are uniquely you, if you lead an organization, a church or a not-for-profit or a, or a for-profit organization, what are those core values that guide you and that allow you to you know, judge new team members and judge each other on an ongoing basis, right? I think it's a, it's a very, very, very key thing. And then just stay hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's so many people get complacent um, and and get, you know, or, or they have failures. And they don't want to get back up and go make it happen again. Um, and again, Dave Ramsey is a great example of of what to do versus what not to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just stay hungry, stay humble. Right. And you know what? 
I'm not so worried about that one actually because life humbles us. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> where, where I get yep. cocky about something, bam. Yep. Right. Pride Absolutely. goes before a fall, and so that one is not really a. I think a principle you have to pay attention to. It'll take care of itself, just like yep. gravity. Yep. It'll it'll bring you know bring me down. And uh, but but you got to stay hungry and mm-hmm. and invest in others. You get what you give. You know mm-hmm. you don't give to get. But yet you do get what you give and, and, mm-hmm. and take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't pay attention to my health for a long, long time. Um, I would work. I remember Saturday I was working. I sold, I don't remember, eight or so units. And I looked up at my watch and I went, I'm hungry. And I looked and it's 8, 8 p.m. I hadn't eaten breakfast. I hadn't eaten because I didn't eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. I hadn't eaten lunch and I hadn't eaten dinner. And worked all day. You know, I've been drinking coffee. And I used to go through 5, 10, 12 cups of coffee a day. And no so way. I had to, I, my doctor told me I have to give up alcohol or coffee or steak. And so I gave up coffee. So I had a cup of coffee here this morning. Um, I'll have an occasional cup of coffee. Really? But I, Not every I have, day. I, ha- I don't have every day. And I, and I drink tea. But I don't have caffeine every day anymore. Mm. Um, and I have a lot, lot less of it than I used to. Oh wow! And you know, it's it's solved my um, heartburn issues that I used to have. Acid reflux was really? you know killing me, wake me up at night, and and then I had a, a sleep disorder that I finally have figured mm. out and, and been doing things. You know, not not the kind of sleep disorder that makes you. I don't I don't have a problem falling asleep mm-hmm. regardless of what's going on in life. I mean, I'll you know it's a yep. it's a frustrating thing for my wife after ten years. Yep. Right, we can be talking and I'm just I'm gone, or You're we out. can just I, I just fall asleep. I lay down. I think the shortest she ever measured was like 45 seconds, right? And I, I literally <laughs> took a cat nap for like 90 seconds and I was up and I was, you know, just recharged yeah. that lasted me for a couple of hours. Um, but, but I'm seeing how I really do have to get my sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other, the other two nights ago, I worked till 1.30 in the morning. Our financial audit's just about complete. So I was going through and reading that, looking, reviewing financials, doing a couple other things, other projects. 1.30, when I went to sleep, I got up at 5 a.m. to go to the airport to uh, fuel up my plane and, and head out. Um, so last night, I crashed in bed at, gosh, probably 8.30. And mm-hmm. I woke up about 6.30 this morning. I had a good night's rest and yeah. I'm recharged and ready to go. So, you know, and and then take care of your spiritual health. Yeah. You know, that's one thing we didn't talk much about on the podcast, but it's, I've learned the hard way what not doing that, um, the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. So always been a, you know, a Christian and went to church and, and, uh, pray over my meals and, um, read this, read, read the Bible. And, you know, my father is a pastor and I served in church on the commit, you know, as, as a, on the elder board and sure. et cetera. Um, but none of that gives you a relationship with Christ. Yeah. None of that truly. And I was fortunate, I think, in being shown the right way, but I just wasn't hungry for it. And so yeah. I'm, I'm going through that journey now of, of repairing some of the damage that's caused in my life, in my marriage, mm-hmm. uh, in my personal life. Mm. Um, and I think just realizing, I went through a program recently called um, Regen, Regeneration. Mm. Um, never heard of it. It's phenomenal. Watermark in uh, Watermark Church in Dallas is the one who published it. I, I attended the Watermark campus in Fort Worth. And uh, it was a 14-month program that I went through uh, where we just get together. There's about 300 people in the group you know, that meet. We worship every Monday night. Um, and I probably missed you know, 12 Monday nights, maybe, of the past 14, almost 16 months. Wow. Um, so it took a time commitment. I had to rearrange yeah. my calendar, right? It was a sacrifice for me, uh, for things, sometimes for the company, and uh, mm-hmm. obviously often for my wife and, and family. So, um, but going through that, it's just tw- it's a twelve step program, and mm-hmm. you can be anything from 
you struggle with laziness or you struggle with lack of discipline or it can be very serious issues. I mean, drug or, you know, drug abuse or um, sexual abuse, you know, sexual addiction, any, any kind of addiction or any kind of anything, really. Mm. You just want a closer walk with God. You really, you really don't have anything terrible going on in life. Yep. It's just you're not close like you want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's really given me a realization personally of how messed up and screwed up I am, yeah. Right, by, yeah. according to God's standard, yep. and his need, for, my need for God's grace. It's not just some kind of overarching thing for humanity, right? It's how depraved I personally am, right? Yes. So you do a thing where you go through inventory, and gosh, it's it's a terrible part That's, of the program, right? And you dig about, you think about all the the sins you've committed, and the sins committed against you, and you know, the harms you've caused to others and, and the, the pride and the fear, right? Fear is a sin, mm-hmm. right? The fear that you have and you go and you document all of that. I mean, it's literally an entire book and in like hmm. 12 weeks, I think, going through just that part of the process. Interesting. And, and it's, you know, it's really, in fact, I hope to this weekend go back to someone. It's not had a big impact on me, mm-hmm. um, but w- I had a third grade teacher who did not believe in dinosaurs and I had a dinosaur ruler and ironically, um, I'm going to be in his neighborhood this weekend. And so I want to go talk to him and just tell him, you know what? I forgive you. So here's what happened is he, he took the dinosaur ruler out of my desk at school and then he lied to my parents about it and said he didn't. So he had a problem with the dinosaur ruler. The problem was, is we had a fairly open school. And so I went and dug through his desk because we often were through his desk looking for, <laughs> you know, markers to use, to use on the whiteboard, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, found it in there, my brothers and mine. And, uh, and he lied about it. And it's not about going back and, you know, in that case and, and getting retribution. Right. I just want to tell him, you know what? It's something I think about when I think of him, I think of that and right. I want to release him from it yes. and tell him I forgive him. You know, that's, that's between him and God. Yeah. That's worthwhile, um, man. So that's been a phenomenal journey for me, and I've, I'd highly encourage, Regen. recommend. Is it available only in Dallas, or is it available in other cities as well? There, there are other churches who do the program as okay. well. Um, so it's not something you do online. It's not something you do okay. online, you but have that's to a, find a partner great idea. Yeah. It's a great idea, and I think you could do it online. Hmm. Uh, maybe that's something you need to look into. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. But I'll tell you, I wish that every man and woman could go through this program. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... Absolutely phenomenal. You do really end up having to be a believer because it's fundamental principles, right. but you don't have to be a believer to get started. Mm. You can opt out of the program at some point and say, you know what, this Jesus thing's just not for me. Yep. Um, tremendous people. And you know what's unique about it again? Vulnerability mm-hmm. and that trust. Yep. You know, people getting up on the stage like you or I and just confessing the things that you go, gosh, we never talk about that in church, right? Right. I yep. mean, God forbid. Yep. And yet it's being done, and then you see the repentance and the journey and the story. And it's not beautiful always, right? Mm-hmm. The, the story from the ashes is beautiful, but it's cost a lot of people their, their wives or their husbands or their jobs or their whatever it may be. But yet there's the beauty of God's design yes. and restoration in that. So. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, man. I appreciate your time. And um, uh, you know, wish you the best with Ulrich. And uh, cheering you guys Thank on. You. you guys have had, a, as long as I've been uh, aware of you guys, you've had a really great brand, have done really well with that. So I think the branding and the culture and the, the values and those things, it seems like a strength of you guys. You've yeah, but done, you know, and even product design, you have, have great products. We're so literally in the job. process of redesigning, um, rebranding, not changing the name, but rebranding, updating our brand, updating our voice, because one of our core, core principles is, core values is grow or die. Sure. And and I believe that we're we've probably... Um, 
not done enough of that in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have a big, we're, we're totally revamping our um, products. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can't wear them out, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they have a shelf life, whether, you right. know, unfortunately, there's not an expiration date printed on them, yep. Yep. <laughs> but they do have a shelf life. And so we're in the middle of that right now. We just had a meeting on that yesterday, sort of finalizing the direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll make final decisions on that over the next 14 days. Yeah. And then, you know, launching into a, a new marketing strategy, working with an outside firm on on that as well. So just, you always got to stay fresh, right? Absolutely. Back, back to Absolutely a principle. Yep. Well, I hope things go good for you in the coming months and years and at your other locations as well with your acquisitions. I hope those guys do really good Thank and you. guys and gals and, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Man. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. 